What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. What? Hey, he's sketchy. What? What? What the? What, what, I, uh, what is going is on? This, is it 2017, Kevin? Zack Sabre Jr. is warming up in the ring and we're hearing the low IQ music of Katsuyori Shibata. What the... Is this a time walk? Have, have we fallen down a time slip? I, if I could go back and want, have one more Shibata Katsuyori Shibata's dressed to fight, Kevin. What the hell is going on? I have no idea. But I love it. My pal Joel Yentis has just spit his tea and wet his pants. What? This is a moment. What is this? What the heck is going on? I thought we were going to hear from Zach. What? You are kidding. This is a five minute special exhibition UWF rules match! Are you kidding? I have goosebumps all up and down what my body. in the world? Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the G1 Climax 31 Finals, the return of Shibata, the Power Struggle Tour, answering listener questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leave a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing all right. Like, the whole time while you're doing that rundown, I was just wondering, like, why don't you ask me if I want to do that rundown, you know? Well, I mean, you have done it a couple times before. Right. And it's, that's like being like, yeah, you want a couple matches, but doing all these jobs out here, I don't understand. Like, am I not over with the people? Is my voice not attractive enough to introduce this product? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's not for you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. Uh, crazy week in the world of wrestling. It just seems, bro, like, it seems like so much is happening at this point. Like, I'm not even really able to keep up with everything that's going on, you know? And even so much of it is, like, New Japan adjacent, you know? Right. There's there's things happening all over. You got things, obviously, in New Japan. You got things going on Impact, AEW, GCW. Things are going all all over the world, and you the know, Indies, MLW, Rev Pro, like it's it's a lot, right? And, and when you think, oh man, you know, G one's over, gonna get a little break for a little bit, you know, maybe a week or so off. Ah, uh-uh. we got a, a fully loaded Power Struggle tour with several Road Two shows. We already had three Road Two shows that have happened so far, um, leading into the big Power Struggle card that is coming up on November six. So. Yeah, I mean, before we really get into things, maybe that's a good place to just kind of start since we're opening things up. Like, how do you feel about this many Road 2 shows in in the build to, you know, the big uh, power struggle? I mean, are, are you pro or are you negative on this? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle because, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're building up a big pay-per-view show. You, you want to get some build. You want to move storylines along um that is set some stuff up in g1 but you need to you know flush the stories out a little bit but at the same time we're literally just coming off of g1 and we we have we're just loaded with all these road two shows yeah i mean i'm just feeling like that's true they got stuff to build to they got a big show that's all great but you know new japan's never been uh or at least in the you know modern times they haven't really been a company that's been known for having these excellent 10. How many shows are there? Uh, let's see. There is, uh, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 9, actually, 9. Okay. So I wasn't, I was close. You know, I've never known them to be a company that like maximized their you know, points over a nine night spread, you know, like they've never been one to like tell just incredible intricate stories over that time period. There usually seems to be one of two things that happen. And, you know, this is not really speaking against the quality of the matches. I'm sure the matches are going to be fine, but you either get one or two big moments throughout the tour for each feud, you know, 
or you get a lot of the same thing happening night after night after night after night. You know, for instance, we're going to talk about it, but like, you know, with uh, Yano and uh, Great Okan, you're going to get a lot of amateur roll-ups and a lot of people trying to kiss each other's feet. And it's just going to be that same motive over and over and over again. I might throw a little wrinkle here or there, but it's not necessarily like required viewing. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I'm, there's a part of me that's like, man, you know, we, we're coming off the G1, you know, we're going to talk about the G1. There's a lot that was, uh, you know, people are calling this a cursed G1. They're calling it the, you know, the, the G1 that time's going to forget, you know, the snake bit G1. And so, you know, you do want to start off hot. And the good news is we are getting one big power struggle show instead of like two or three nights of power struggle. It's just one, which is awesome. At the same time, we got to go through nine road two shows to get there. And I don't know if what they've got on the paper is really inspiring people to come out of the road, you know, woodworks and, you know, not watch dynamite or not watch, you know, Monday night raw or whatever it is that they're tuning into to maybe instead spend their time on, you know, road to power struggle night. seven. <laughs> right. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to, they brought out the, you know, the version four IWGP heavyweight title. We'll talk about that in a second. They got, they have Hiromi wearing shorts. Uh, they have uh, IWGP junior tag team title match. So, you know, they're, they're throwing out some stuff. <laughs> All right. So they're trying. So maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It's just for me, like even, even me doing the show, I'm like, damn dude, like nine, 10 road twos. That's like excessive, you know? Right. And also the oh. thing with the people who are, you know, our listeners, people who are just watching, like, also, you don't have to watch all nine road twos. Also, I would say, you know, watch the title matches, watch some of the, the yeah, multi matches. Why well, no, we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about for me. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to get to all that stuff in a second. But first, what's the one to talk about our G131 contest? Give a shout out to our uh, three winners here. So after 19 grueling nights and all the predictions and Naito's knee injuries, we have uh, three placers here for our prizes. So coming in third place, the username was just Brian. You're, you're winning the King of Strong Style uh, Shinsuke Nakamura uh, biography there. And I'll email all you guys because I'm sure there's probably a couple different Brian's, but this person just put Brian as their uh, username that was on the board. Second place, uh Sergey Safanov. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but you got second place with the, that sounds good enough <laughs> with the uh, Lions Pride book, and then the winner, first place, 79 points overall. Chris Charlton was actually the winner <laughs> this year's G131. I don't think he should be allowed to play if he's on the broadcast team. I'm sure he's got some inside, you know, notes from the Booker. That doesn't sound right to me. No, it wasn't Chris Charlton, unless he was using <laughs> the alias Lucas Wolf. So, Lucas Wolf, congrats. You are our grand prize winner. $50. That's Chris Charlton's <laughs> alias. I, didn't, I thought you knew that. I didn't. Oh, yeah. So, Chris, He's congratulations, working us. <laughs> a.k.a. Mr. Lucas Wolf. If that's not a worker's name, I don't know what it is. It, it does sound like a, like a wrestling name, yeah. But not like a like a world champion, but like the guy that would be standing in the ring after the commercial came back <laughs> <laughs> on, on like a Saturday morning superstars and Ahmed Johnson's going to beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> uh, Lucas Wolf, uh, you just, you got a $50 pro wrestling tease gift card. I'll be emailing all of you guys. So thank you to everybody who entered in our contest and 
you know, the, the next, you know, big fan interactive thing you guys can get ready for is our fifth annual Keeping It Strong Style Year End Awards. Uh, we'll have to be working on that. Voting should be yeah. available at the end of November and about a month's time to uh, vote on that a month length from November to December. So we'll be getting that ready for you guys. Quite a bit for us to uh, start working on it. This year's just been a whirlwind. Uh, but congratulations, guys. Thank you for playing. Thank you for everybody for, uh, you know, participating and making another, you know, great G1 Pick'em contest. Even if the G1 wasn't great, the Pick'em was awesome. Yeah. So let's finish off our G1 coverage here with the last two nights. So when we last recorded, we left off. They were getting ready to kick off night 18, which was the B-Block final night. The show opened up. We had Jam Project performing Max the Max, which was the G1 Climax theme song. Uh, can't get it out of my head. Uh, fun little performance there to open up the show. Yeah, I heard people complaining about this and, and all that, but like, to me, this was probably like the best G one theme song I can remember in a long time. Yes, it was. <laughs> so, so like it was all it was fine with me. You know, I prefer this over like Flow Ride at WrestleMania. So, <laughs> uh, then from there, show opened up. We had uh, Bushi and Hiromu defeating Fujita and Oiwa. So very similar to what we've seen in the past when these uh, teams faced off. Then the first G one. Matchup of the evening was Yoshihashi defeating Chase Owens, 8 minutes and 27 seconds. Then we had Hiroki Goto defeating Tamatonga, 15 minutes and 19 seconds. And I will say about this matchup, I, I definitely feel like they, sh- they should have given this one to Tamatonga, especially since we know now what is coming up in the future for him. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make, that booking decision doesn't make sense. And it's like, okay, I get it. You, you guys want Goto to be at par but maybe you shouldn't have beaten him like a, you know, <laughs> like a drum the entire, you know, tournament. And you wouldn't be in the predicament where he has to get these crucial two points over Tamatanga. Like, that doesn't make sense at all. Right, yeah. Maybe you put him in the A block and put somebody else in the, in the B block who could eat those losses. And, yeah. This is also a weird oversight. Like, we're not – I'm not used to them having these sort of, like, loose ends. I, I know not every, like – round-robin tournament that ghetto books can be perfect but this is the g1 and typically speaking if you see someone that's going to be getting a push down the road you know maybe a briefcase challenge or some sort of challenge like that they're gonna win the last night and so this is just kind of bizarre i don't know right this looks kind of dumb like he loses and then he's like going to the back and facing off against okada it's like bro you just just lost to goto the geek yeah (laughs) Well, we're used to people losing to Goto and then coming out at the end of the night and getting big challenges. What's up, Kenta? <laughs> What's up, Suzuki? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then the next matchup, we had Taichi defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi, and I love this matchup. Uh, you, you had Taichi coming in here with the tape ribs, you know, horrible record, you know, lower than his previous two G1s, and you had a kind of a cocky ace U.S. champ Tanahashi here zeroing in on the the injured ribs kind of just grinding his foot kind of you know sometimes Tanahashi gets in that heel mode and he'll just be very arrogant he you know working over the injury and you know Taichi had to come in here fight from underneath as soon as the bell rang he had a big dangerous suplex on Tanahashi uh these guys went back and forth here uh for almost 15 minutes until uh you know Tanahashi he got too cocky he went for the high fly flow Taichi moved out of the way, locked in the Gato clutch. One, two, three. 
and Tai Chi is able to uh, end his G1 campaign with six points here. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I mean, you know, Tanahashi, two of the big losses. He suffered, you know, a few losses, but two of the big losses, Tai Chi, Chase Owens, and, um, you know, those almost seem like uh, attaboy wins, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I know that they are giving them elevations, quote-unquote, but it's not like they're really at this point i mean we'll have to see post g1 but it doesn't in fact it somewhat feels like tai chi took maybe a bit of a step down in the booking this year yeah uh, as opposed to like last year chase owens definitely took a step step up but neither one of them are like hot on the heels of u.s champion hiroshi tanahashi even though they both beat him so that's kind of an interesting thing there yeah and we're gonna see what happens obviously tai chi's uh, pretty much taking off most of the Power Struggle tour. And then right. Ch- Chase Owens is not even getting his U.S. title match at Power Struggle. If 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 at all, it seems like they're teasing it. And we'll talk about that. But uh, who knows? There's a lot of time down the road. So maybe they're still thinking of something for him and Tai Chi down the road. But it, it almost feels like him and Zach might just go back to the tag division. And that'd be that, you know? Right. Or maybe this was a way for them to rehab him for doing all those losses in the tournament this <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the semi-main event of the evening, we had Evil getting some revenge from last year's G1, defeating Sonata 17 minutes and 47 seconds. And There's a part of me that feels like that's well-deserved. <laughs> Evil beating Sonata? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just based on I mean, Sonata's output? Yes. <laughs> based on Sonata's output, I do think as much as I talk crap about evil he probably deserves to pick up the w against sonata i don't think sonata's on his level right now well i take (laughs) boom i mean yeah i mean that's how boring sonata is to me at this point yeah i mean you think about you know a guy was in the g1 finals last year he's a guy that gets several opportunities he had that big rivalry with okada um they they did the whole new japan cup storyline with him and, yeah, you know, this G1 was just very bland for him. You know, I'll see when he was in there with Okada and Tanahashi, he had those, you know, four-and-a-half-star bangers. But then every other match was just was mid. You know, three stars, your gentleman's three. Listen, I know that people like to be, like, the shock, you know, jock sort of, you know, personality when it comes to podcasting and all that. And maybe there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, fanaticism or you know whatever you want to call it with us and razzle dazzle but i'm being as honest as i could possibly be this is a stone cold sober thought and take and i'm gonna just put it out there after doing keeping it strong style for almost four years i am ready to absolutely officially positively throw in the towel on say sonata say sonata will never ever be a top guy in professional wrestling, not here, not anywhere. He is an upper mid Carter. He's like the way that they treat like um, Cesaro in WWE. Mm-hmm. But Cesaro doesn't deserve it, but like Sonata 100% deserves it. Right. And you know, not every guy can be a main eventer. You do need some upper mid card guys. But Sonata should have been. Right. He should have, yeah. And it's his fault. Yeah. Sonata screwed Sonata. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But like we were waiting for years and years and we always see the upside and the potential. I'm done with that. 
I'm not having any more discussions about the potential this guy has, about his athleticism, about his skill. No, I'm done. Sonata, he's cool. He's got a spot in the roster. He's a great wrestler, but he's never going to be a top guy ever, 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 ever in this company, period. I'm done. Yeah, he, he's not getting any, any younger. We got tons of guys from Noge Dojo and LA Dojo getting ready to come up. He's at Goto. He's at the same stage as Goto, but it took him like a third of the time of Goto's like career to get there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Yeah. So I just want I want everyone to know that, like you know, the G in Sonata stands for geek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the G There's is not a G in there. The G is silent, but he is yeah, a geek. <laughs> yeah, the G silent Sonata. He's a geek. Oh man, and uh, yeah, uh, everything is evil here. Evil gets to win. There was tons of shenanigans as you can imagine here, but yeah, evil ends his G one fourteen points, but obviously not good enough here to be in contention for the finals. So the main event here, the block decider, Kazuchika Okada coming in with this match, 14 points. He had that one upset win from Tamatonga the night before, coming in against Jeff Cobb, who was coming in undefeated, eight wins back-to-back, 16 points, never done in G1 history. Young boy, how would you feel about this B-block final? I uh, was very very impressed with this match. I thought it was a, a very much a fitting B-block final, especially just considering the field and this year. Like, in, in other years, I wouldn't have necessarily considered this as anything more than just a very good G1 match. You know, I think that there's quite a few, uh, you know, B-block matches from last year that, like, would fuck this matchup. <laughs> but um, watching it live, which I was able to do, I woke up early in the morning and watched it live, there was a bit of intrigue, just uh, the idea, can Cobb go undefeated in the G1? Can he, like, be the one? It's happened quite a few times. They On commentary, they acted like only uh, Ricky Choshu's ever done it, but it's, it's actually happened, like, quite a few times. Uh, not recently, but, you know, in, in the history of the tournament, I think there's, like, three, four, maybe five times um, the guys have got to the finals undefeated. Um, but you know, the idea that like, could he actually do that? Uh, you know, given the fact that it's such a big field and, you know, the, the, the point totals, that would have been crazy. And, um, they told a really great story of just like, you know, Okada consistently going for the rainmaker, not being able to get that rainmaker Cobb seeming to have his number countering him in every way. Anything you could do, I could do better. This has kind of been very much the story of their previous two matches. Um, you know, can Okada overcome and neutralize the power, speed, and efficiency of Jeff Cobb? And um, there's a lot of great spots. That double um, tombstone spot was one that really, really, really sticks out to me. Um, the only thing that brought it down a bit for me was... Um, Again, the the crowd and the atmosphere, I do think, affected the match a little bit. But I would say for this match, I would have gone like four and a quarter. But that little bit of extra intrigue about the stakes that were involved and the history kind of bumped it up maybe a quarter star. I'd probably go four and a half on this. But, you know, that's that's kind of where I stand. So I thought it was a great match. And I thought it was it it kicked the shit out of the A-block final. 
Yeah, I'm right there along with you. I also did get up early to watch this match live, and I feel exactly the same way you do. Like, the match was uh, four and a quarter start action, but that little bit of intrigue and then just being in the B-block final, um, and just could Cobb actually do it? That intrigue definitely added um, a quarter star there, so I'm also four and a half on it. And, yeah, that double tombstone yeah, spot. Yeah, I guess they had, me, they had me biting on stuff. Yeah, they that did. I wouldn't normally bite on. Right, yeah, that double tombstone spot where, like, yeah, Cobb hits a tombstone and pulls him back up into the spinning tombstone was awesome. The uh, the tour of the islands attempt off the top rope, which Okada reversed into a DDT, was awesome. I was taken aback by that because I didn't realize he was doing... I think if I realized that he was doing a super tour of the islands, I would have freaked out more. And did they say that he'd done that before? Did he do that to Will Ospreay at MSG? I think he did. Okay, because they kind of alluded to that, and I was like, man, I was in the building, but I don't remember that. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, what I thought he was doing was, I thought he was doing a Bandito-esque... Follow-away moonsault. Follow, yeah, follow-away moonsault slam, like the kind Bandito does. And I was like, oh my god, this guy's insane. <laughs> and then it got turned into a, a DDT. I was like, well, it sucks to suck. But I didn't realize like that that was almost game over, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and so, yeah, clearly uh, Cobb was working over you know, the back of Okada in the match, and Cobb, or no, Okada was working over the head of several DTs, and again, you know, going for that Rainmaker uh, and finally fighting for it. There was also a hangman spot where he did the dropkick to Okada, and Okada, you know, was on the turnbuckles, the lake in a seated position. This is the same thing we see Okada do to other people, and usually they get dropkicked and then fall off the apron to the outside. But he, like, fell in a way to where his uh, left leg got caught in the other rope. So he was in, like, an upside down. Uh, and for a, for a while, I was thinking that maybe this was part of the story and, and intentional. But they never capitalized on it. So there's a part of me that's wondering, like, did he actually just get, like, caught and, like, couldn't yeah. <laughs> get, get himself out? I don't know. I've been in a hangman spot. It's not, it actually isn't that easy to detach yourself, you know, once you put yourself into it. Mm. Yeah, it definitely looked like he was stuck there for a second because, yeah, there, there was no follow-up. Cobb didn't go after the knees or legs or anything like that. Yeah, it just it looked nasty, and I was like, oh, are they going to, you know, switch the body part? I don't know, but the match was really, really awesome. And then, you know, um, again, it's the same thing I've said each time. Like, all their matches this year have been good, and I, I actually think Okada and Cobb might even have a uh, strong case for – like feud of the year yeah. based on the output. But I, in my opinion, I don't think any one of their three matches have been like that blow away classic match that they seem to be capable of. They, they seem to, each match seems to be like a component of what could be that type of match. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this one felt really, really, really good, but, and I'm not like complaining that it was 23 minutes, but cause they, they worked a fast G1 style pace. But I, I, I did think they should flirt with the time limit draw yeah. a bit more. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I was thinking about too because obviously the whole big thing was if Cobb had the advantage here. Like all Cobb, right. needed, if Cobb had gotten a draw, he was going through. If it no con, like when, no matter what happened, like as long as he didn't get pinned or submitted, like he was going to go through. Um, so I definitely right. think, especially in the beginning of the tournament, they teased a lot of matches going to that 30-minute time limit. So I thought it would have made a ton of sense here. The tease of 30 minutes, you know, 30 seconds left, then Okada hits the Rainmaker and stops Cobb. It's not that I wanted him to use, like, stalling tactics or anything, but I just felt like it would have maybe added a bit to the uh, 
the overall drama. Plus, they could have definitely gone to another level. But I will say this: the um, the closing sequences were classic Okada. I mean, the reversal after reversal after reversal after reversal, and then finally, boom! He hits the rainmaker. I mean, that's classic because it's Okada. That's like right out of like 2014, 2015 playbook, you know? Right. And he hit that man with one and put him away, you know? So, um, and that's another good thing because for years it took, you know, Rainmaker after Rainmaker after Rainmaker for this guy to like win matches. And, you know, as much as we probably complained about the money clip, now they've sort of, you know, reinvigorated his classic finisher and it's kind of, you know, powerful again. So, uh, really great match. I think they got more. Again, I'll just say I think they they've got in them a better match than this. But uh, I love when these two guys wrestle, and I, you know, we move on. Okada against Ibushi in the finals. Yeah, and uh, one thing too on the on the whole Rainmaker Money Clip thing, I like the kind of thing that Kevin Kelly was doing to explain Okada and his mindset, and kind of being like, you know, Okada was so far ahead of everybody else that he pretty much purposely handicapped himself by doing this money clip because he was so far ahead. And now that everybody's finally starting to catch up to him, he has to go back to the rainmaker. Yeah. Uh, I think that's also part of it too. You know, uh, out of necessity, you know, he tried this other thing and it didn't work out. And now he's having to return, but it might just be a, to me, I think it might've been a little bit of a clever way to get people to accept the idea of the rainmaker working again. Yeah. You know, Similar to what they did with Brock that time when he was dropping everybody with one F five for a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now we move on to the G one Climax thirty one finals night, which was Thursday, October twenty first. Show opened up. We had Suzuki Goon of El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru defeating Fujita and Oiwa. Then we Losers. had <laughs> Toriyano and Yuji Nagata defeating the United Empire team of Great Okan. And Jeff Cobb. So here we're starting to get the build for Yano and Okan. They've kind of had a little rivalry going this year. And obviously Okan got his revenge back on Yano in the tournament. But Yano getting some revenge here by getting a schoolboy and Okan. And Okan wanted Yano to kiss his feet. And obviously we'll we'll talk about where that's leading as we get to Uh, power struggle. I'll tell you one thing. Um, Jeff Cobb should have beat Eugene Nagata here. Yes. Like I get it. You're building to Yano and. Ocon and you want to put some spotlight on that, but you can do that in the match. You can do that post-match. You, you didn't need to have Yano rolling up great Ocon, you know, whereas Cobb just came off a big loss. Old man Nagata should have been eating the tour of the islands, period. Right. There there are nine nights to build Ocon and Yano. They did not need Yano to uh, get the win here. Uh, I think for uh, for Ocon, man, sometimes it's like it's one step forward, like three steps backwards. Like he had really, you know, those three great main events with Shingo, Abushi, um, and uh, Ishii, and then you know you throw him out here with this kind of comedy stuff with Yano. It's like it's taking the man backwards. Yeah, the other thing too is like maybe you have to do something like this on the big show because you know so much, so many, so many fewer people are going to actually watch those road two shows. So you know. It, they do try to do the big stories, quote unquote, on the big shows, when especially when it's a G1 final and everything is kind of leading to the next tour. But, you know, I just felt like, man, I mean, 
I, I understand. Like, Cobb just had such a great tournament. Like, he just he should have been beating Nagata here, period. Right. So, the next matchup, we had the House of Torture Bullet Club unit, Evil, Show, and Udro. They defeated the current never uh, openweight six-man tag team champions, Rokigoto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. So, obviously, this is setting up for a title challenge for these guys here. Then we had another Bullet Club unit with Chase Owens, Kenta, and Girls of Destiny. You're just going to move on? There, there is much more to this than just that, sir. So, clearly, the Chaos team that lost here are the reigning never openweight six-man tag team champions. Post-match, Evil Show and Ujiro, after quite a bit of shenanigans, beat these guys down, used all the tricks in the book, held the titles above their head, the House of Torture wants another title shot, and, you know, I'm thinking there's a very good chance that we're going to be seeing them belt up Evil Show and Tokyo Pimp. Yeah, especially since, you know, Chaos, they've been the champs, you know, well over a year now, several defenses. Um, it's definitely probably, quote-unquote, time for a title switch, and they, they want to push House of Torture. So, I mean, if they're going to give them something, might as well give them that. Keep in mind, too, the last time anyone else held these titles evil was on that team holding these belts he's the reason that they had to vacate him when he defected for bullet club and uh you know he's he at the time had said he didn't want those belts but, right uh, which ishii you know. has brought back up to light in the backstage comments that hey you said you didn't want this belt and it's because you're a failure and that's why you, well, you didn't want it <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's absolutely true <laughs> um do they have house torture shirts yeah they do don't yeah they, they do yeah so here's what's happening. You know, I don't talk about it a lot on the show, but I'm a big Michigan fan. They're undefeated. Saturday, playing Michigan State, Paul Bunyan Trophy, Big Ten rivalry, interstate rivalry. It's a big game. And we're both undefeated this year, number eight versus number six. And uh, I've got a brother from Michigan who is a Michigan State fan. And uh, we had – we literally only – like came into context our building relationship this year at the funeral of my other brother. So through the course of that, you know, we met and then he learned that me and my sister are Michigan fans. He's a Michigan state fan. And that, that shit don't fly. You know <laughs> Y'all had smoke. So yeah, we got, we got smoke and he doesn't want any of that smoke. So Saturday noontime, I think in, in Lansing. Yeah. They're going to be playing and we have a wager the way it's going to go. If, Michigan win. Basically, whoever loses has to go out and either buy a shirt or a jersey of the other team and wear that and post it online and keep it as their profile picture for at least a week mm. and all and also add a frame from that school's team as well and like post it to their story like once a day for that entire week. Man, high stakes here. <laughs> high stakes. So I'm wondering, there's nothing that I'd ever want less in this world than to wear a House of Torture shirt. Because I feel like if people ever saw me wearing that shirt, they'd think it's some sort of weird sex dungeon sort of thing. <laughs> Might be good to wear to the castle. Yeah, I could wear it to the castle in Ebor. <laughs> it's like the one place to be like uh, accepted. Um, I'm wondering if at some point you and I need to have some sort of wager where the loser has to wear purchase and wear a house of torture shirt, because I feel like that would be the worst case scenario for either one of us. 
Yeah, maybe we do like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom predictions or something like that. Whoever has the the worst I predictions. Like, I feel like we need to work something out. I feel like maybe other people might want to get in on this uh, House of Torture, you know, wager. Yeah, let's get let's get Samsa in on it. Let's get uh, Karen in on it. I don't know, but we got we got to figure something out because someone needs to wear this shitty shirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on. Uh, fourth match of the night. Yep. So with the other Bullet Club unit of Chase, Kenta, and God with Jado, they defeat Great Bash Heel, Togi Makabe, Tomi Okahanma, Hiroshi Tan- Tanahashi, and Tiger Mask. And I thought it was hilarious that Togi Makabe, who's been off for quite some time. Came out with his uh, all taped up like he had been through the G1. Bro, literally, that was my thought. I was like, why is this man ta- like taped up? <laughs> yeah. This man's got tape all over his, you know, abdomen. Like someone like, you know, threw him into a barricade the night before. And he just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this man hasn't wrestled in months. I know. It's like they do a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the big thing here, uh, Kenta, after the match, you know, knocks down Tanahashi with the belt. Steals the U.S. title belt and pretty much proclaims himself the the next challenger. You know, jumping ahead of Chase Owens here. Yeah. Um, at the end, the interesting thing was just kind of like the face off with Tanahashi and both Chase Owens as well as Kenta. Yeah. So obviously they're kind of leaving the door open there for a future Chase Owens matchup. He did get the, the big win there, but they're the IWGB committee decided to give uh, Kenta the first shot. Yeah, they pretty much, you know, were already before it was confirmed. It was pretty clear from the interaction, the post match, that it was going to be Kenta and uh, Tanahashi. But that was only after Kenta had sort of interrupted the jaw jacking going on between Chase Owens and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And Chase had said something to the lines of like, I, but I beat him too. And Kent's like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like he's, uh, you know, Chase Owens is going to have to put his aspirations on the back burner for the big star Kenta, you know, while we uh, work out this uh, red belt mess, you know? Yeah. Maybe Chase can get a, you know, a big uh, shot at the uh, world tag league final night. Also, why wasn't Tamatanga picking up the win in this match? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Like again, because um, I think the the actual winner of this match was Chase Owens, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he did a package pal driver to Hanma, which, by the way, was scary as fuck. Hanma's it just a considering like um, Hanma's history, but like when he got him up for that package pal driver, like his body's so stiff. I was like, he's not even like. I was like, he's like he's like literally like squeezing into the position, and then I, and then like his head did like touch the mat a little bit. I was like, oh. God. <laughs> like I don't think he can tuck his chin in this position. Right. Um, which is cool, you know. I'm not saying Chase doesn't deserve to win matches, but you know, if I'm building up a guy to potentially challenge for the briefcase, he's gonna win all his matches from here on out. And yes, he was on the winning side, but like why wasn't Tamatanga hitting a stun gun on somebody? This doesn't make fucking sense. Right. He should have been picking up a lot of momentum going into this, you know, briefcase challenge. I mean it's pretty much already we all know Okada's going to win regardless, but at least give us some... It's just good booking. Right, it's good booking. Give the, the challenger some credibility. Give a, a a shot in our mind that maybe he could actually, you know, do something here. Listen, I get it. Tamatonga had a great G1. You know, he really surprised a lot of people. That's all well and good. You know, he picked up a career best win over Okada. But it doesn't stop there. He needs to look good in all the matches between now and that challenge. He needs to be picking up 
wins and being the winning party in all those matches between now and then. So this seemed this has seemed very strange to me. Yeah. It's not it's not like their normal motive, you know? Right. So then moving on, the next matchup, the big surprise of the night. And what was great about this was nobody seemed to know what was going on. Commentary teams like, well, next up we've got, you know, LIJ teaming up to take on, you know, you know, eight man team tag team action. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, Zach Sabre Jr.'s music hits. He's come down. He's wearing the you know, all white jacket. He's wearing, you know, like white, um, like MMA type shorts. And you're like, oh, what, what's Sabre coming out? Maybe he's going to cut a promo. There's going to be some kind of angle here. He walks out and then all of a sudden you hear, Da-da-da-da. yeah. <laughs> Shibata's music hits. The crowd forgets they're not supposed to make noise. They gasp. They're going crazy. Out comes Shibata. He's wearing gear also. And, you know, the ring announcers announce, you know, a five-minute UWF rules exhibition match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Katsuyori Shibata. Yeah, this even – now, I was spoiled on this by the time I got around to actually watching it. Um, And we'll talk about the main – there were things that occurred on the show that made me not feel necessarily that I needed to go out of my way to catch the show (laughs) in the immediate fashion that I normally would for a G1 final. But um, it actually took me like a day or two before I even knew that this happened. Like, I saw a picture. I saw like a, a meme and it was like, you know, guys only want one thing and it's it's fucking disgusting. And then like, and then the, below it says the thing guys want. And it's like a picture of like Shibata and uh, Zach. And, you know, they're in some sort of like octopus hold, like towards the tail end. But I didn't know who was in it. And I was like, I was like, who is this? And people had to be like, uh, Shibata and, and Zach. And I was like, is this from like the match they had with <laughs> the company? And then I had to find out like, oh no, Shibata wrestled the other night. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Bro, I, I woke up and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to throw it on the G1. You know, I'll watch the final live. And I start New Japan. We're on Saber and Shibata are grappling. I was like, what the heck? I'm like, Shibata is <laughs> wrestling? What is happening right now? Oh, man. Yeah, you know, say what you will about, you know, the many different, like, issues that might be ongoing in the company. One thing that we've complained about in years past, especially the past couple of years, are the lack of surprises and big moments on these G1 final nights where you used to have stuff that was shocking and surprising, big matches that meant something and maybe this isn't quite all those things but in a certain sense it was better because it was emotional you know and it came from out of nowhere and it was like what are we getting here <laughs> we're getting Shibata and Zack Sabre and like you know I know I know a lot of people wanted Zack to win this you know to be in the finals on this night and I but again we we went over that last week and discussed just how strongly they presented him but again wow what an incredible way to present this guy than having him be the first opponent for whatever this return of Shibata is or isn't, whatever it may end up being. The fact that they chose him and selected him to be that guy, that puts a lot of eyes on Zack Sabre, a lot of eyes on the promotion. It's an exciting thing. It's something that people have been wanting and waiting for. And, you know, it all, it also kind of makes a lot of sense why Zack has been talking so much shit against Shibata and and everything like that like all year long basically 
Right. And we've, we've even complained, been like, why are they doing this if these guys can't even wrestle, you know? Right. And we've even seen guys like who are feuding with the LA Dojo, like Osprey and them, or like mentioning right. Shibata, and, you know, trying to start uh, a feud pretty much with Shibata. Um, and so, yeah, this was just very interesting. But what we know, like, um, you know, this was pretty much a surprise from everybody. Like, it was like Gato, Shibata, Saber, and the ring announcers knew. Nobody else knew. So it was generating a surprise from Kevin Kelly and Charlton and everybody else. And, uh, you know, even the boys. Yeah. No, none of the guys knew. Um, Shibata, he's been lobbying for a ring return for a long time now. You know, when he first came back, that first appearance, you know, he said, I'm still alive and took a bump in the middle of the ring. And since then, you know, he's been training at the LA dojo and training these guys. And for years now, I've been lobbying for a return and you know, obviously he has to get cleared by doctors, but it seems, you know, we've seen with guys like Brian Danielson and, and edge, these guys who have brain injuries or neck injuries who take several years off they're they're able to come back and get cleared. And this could be a similar situation here for Shibata. And I think this grappling match here was the first step in the right direction. Well, that may or may not be, you know, I've historically been on the side that was extremely skeptical of the prospect of a return for Katsuhiro Shibata. And I felt as though when we saw him get involved physically with Kenta a couple years ago after the G1 and that how that whole story unfolded between Kenta and it ended up basically being Goto as a proxy for Shibata. That was a big indication to me that he most likely was not cleared. And, you know, while he did look fantastic in the ring, you know, I pointed out to our listeners at the time just how serious the type of brain injury was that he suffered in that match with Okada. Um, You know, now we're years on later and they've continued to periodically tease him with people making comments and it started to kind of sway me in the direction of thinking like, well, they wouldn't keep doing that if they weren't on some level hopeful that he might be returning. Um, and maybe this is the first key or indication that that's the case. Uh, I will say, though, that the rules of this match tend to maybe serve as a buffer just in case that's not the case. Like, he might not be cleared. I mean, they didn't strike. They didn't, you know, not that uh, the, either of these two guys' matches are really filled with this stuff, but, you know, they didn't do a lot of, like, rope running. They didn't come off the turnbuckle. They didn't brawl on the outside. They didn't use weapons. None of that stuff. It, you know, it was as it was built, an exhibition match, and it was classic technical wrestling, which uh, is fine, but it's also safer, you know? And yeah. so there, there's a part of me that's wondering, like, did they do that because he, he can't be cleared, but they wanted to throw both of these guys bone and it's a one-off and, you know, it cert- it helps the company too, because now everyone's excited, but they haven't promised more than they delivered. In fact, they over-delivered just by doing it in the first place. Right. You know? Yeah. But, no. the, but there's another part of me that is like everyone else and is hoping that this is the first side of things to come. And if that's the case, and he is cleared, that'd be incredible. Yeah, from my understanding, I don't think he's officially cleared yet, but they're 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 hopeful and there's signs that he could be cleared. And um, you know, post match, after the match, I'll see it was a five minute draw. After the match, he says, The next time that you see me, I'll be in my wrestling gear. Um, so clearly he's dead set on on making a return, having this comeback. So it, it makes it sound like he, the, him being cleared is 
maybe sooner than we think. That's true. And uh, again, I don't want to throw water on the fire, but he's said things like this in the past, which just shows that he's always intended to come back. And I think we've always known that on some level. It's not like it's been a secret. Uh, the real question is, can he get the clearance? Would it be safe? And if he did come back, what what would we be getting? Now, if this was any indication, he seemed to be every bit as good as he ever was. I know it wasn't necessarily like the hard-hitting, violent style of Shibata that we're, we've come to know, but in terms of intensity and purposeful, you know, ring work, uh, it was just beautiful. And I mean, it was, it was kind of really emotional in a certain sense, but I got to imagine that if he were to come back, he's not coming back as like a, a an altered version of Shibata. He's probably coming back whole hog, like <laughs> fucking knees, elbows, you know, the one-legged drop kick, you know, the corner drop kick, you know, all right. that shit. Sleeper, PK kick, all that. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yes, headbutts but, probably too. I bet he would do headbutts too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if he was smart, he would alter them for safety's purpose and <laughs> split his dome open to right. get that line of blood that he's used to getting. But uh, yes. Yeah, you got to wonder too, like what has he been doing in the LA Dojo? Like, has he already been taking bumps? Has he been, you know, wrestling with those guys, you know, Fredericks and Connors and Coglin? Has he been doing little mini matches with those guys? We don't know. He could probably have could be doing this this whole time. I'm positive that he's on some level wrestling in the gym. Um, you know, most trainers do, but uh, there's wrestling and then there's wrestling. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, getting in there and taking some bumps and, and doing some sequences and some spots is not quite the same thing as wrestling. Right. <laughs> if that makes sense. I, maybe it doesn't, but it's... It, no, I, yeah. I definitely there, understand, yeah. Um, but we had some questions here. Um, Kyle Martin said, one of my favorite segments you guys have ever done was Josh's career retrospective on Shibata, I believe. I don't remember it. We did. the. Uh, um, it was during the pandemic when we were doing the voting series, and we uh, did. A, it was me, you, and Imp. We did a Shibata episode. Okay, because he said this was the week after Kenta attacked Katsuyori. So, I don't know. I don't remember doing one, but that's fine. With that being said, I wanted to know if you guys had any speculation about, New J- about how New Japan should use Shibata is the potential for him to have Brian Danielson levels of success? Or is it more likely that he'll be placed in an Ishii or Goto type of role for the remainder of his career? Well, if he gets fully cleared and they could use him in regular matches, they would be fools to slot him in a Goto Ishii role. I think you go a heavy push with him. Maybe he doesn't win the belt, but he should definitely be a tighter challenger. He should be involved in heated programs. We're going to draw money. If, and it's a huge if, but let's say he's cleared and he's as good as he ever was and he's able to go on that level, you put the fucking belt on Katsuyori Shibata, period. You put the belt on this man and you do it against Kazushika Okada. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you do it in Sumo Hall in <laughs> April. Mm. That's what you do. Period. Dude, that that would draw big time. Like, think, bro. Of- I get chills thinking about it right now. I have, in you know, I I do know that like 
there is obviously the very overwhelming contingency of people that believe that the greatest match and the greatest series of matches in the history of wrestling, uh, especially in New Japan, are between Omega and Okada, and I'm probably amongst them. But believe it or not, there's probably just as many vocal supporters that truly, and this is it's not some cap shit, and, and most people wouldn't even begrudge him for thinking this, but most people believe from that camp that the greatest match in wrestling history and the greatest match in New Japan history is truly actually Okada versus Shibata from what not invade uh, from Sakura Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. What year is that? 2017. 17. God. So, I mean, if you could do the re the, the match that everyone has always wanted, but never knew that they were ever going to have a chance to ever get again. And you can do it in the same venue and you do it. What, how many years apart is that? Yeah, five. Well, five. If, they, if they can do it next year, yeah, five. If you could do it five years apart to the day, fuck yeah. Bro, like, <laughs> we, we, just, we just saved Bushi Road. We've saved New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do, man. That I mean, there's a lot of other things. Obviously, there's a lot of other things you could do with Shibata because he wasn't around when all these other stars have kind of popped up. I mean... You know, when he was wrestling for the company, like freaking Nakamura was still there or had just left or whatever. You know, AJ Styles was still there. You right. Know? Naito, Naito wasn't even that big a star yet. Like so much has happened since 2017. And right. There's so many new matches and stuff. And that, that plays into Rambo and Slam, Pig question, Slam Pig's question. He says, if Shibata is really back and able to fully wrestle, who would be your dream match on the current NJPW roster? And what about outside the roster? Huh, that's a great question. Um, for for you, who do you see in New Japan that you're like, I mean, okay. I mean, number, I mean number, Okada's the dream match. Right, Okada, like, that's the match you have to do. Like, no matter what, you have to book the Okada match, like, first thing. And that means Okada needs to win all the gold. And everyone's going to complain if that happens, but period. Like, if he's got the gold, then you're well on your way to him and Shibata um okay i guess the other one that we got to throw out there and it's been on the table since you know for since he came to the company the kenta match right i'll see yeah the whole like you mentioned earlier the the goto storyline and kenta turning to join bullet club and shibata was the one that you know quote unquote brought kenta in new japan after he got released from WWE and, and brought him in and to be a part of the g1 so there's a lot of other matches, but like for me, just based off history, based off of, you know, what I think could draw, what would do big business, those are the, my top two matches in New Japan, for yeah. me anyways. Yeah, and then also just from my really just dream match, I'm thinking about business and I'm just thinking like match quality. Also, Shingo Takagi, like a, a match between those two would be credible. Uh, you have Will Ospreay, uh, that would be a great matchup. And him and Will have actually wrestled before, but this is not Junior Will. Right. This, you know, is, this is not Babyface Will. It's a different animal. Right. So so that would be great. Um, obviously, you could you could run back him and Ishii. Um, of course. Him and Saber. So there's a lot that's out there. Tanahashi's still viable, you know? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot. Um, but let's just pick one guy outside of New Japan. 
who's someone you'd like to see Shibata wrestle? I think it has to be uh, Brian Danielson. Yeah, and I mean, I, I hate to be that guy, but that's the same thing that I think I have to say at this point. Um, because, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the guy stylistically that, and star potential-wise, it makes the most sense to me. Yeah, that'd be awesome matchup. I don't know. I'm doing a quick, like, Google, like, oh, okay, five days ago, Wrestle Talk. 11 dream matches for Katsuyori or Shabbat. So like, there are people out there that are already like making these lists. Um, how about we throw a little bit of light on them? Why not? You know, so they got a list here, 11 people. I'll just read the names real quick. So they've got honorable mention, John Moxley at number 11. They got Jonathan Gresham, number 10, Minoru Suzuki at, uh, you know what? They fucked up because I got to go page by page. I'm not doing all that. Man, they want, they're trying to get your views, man. Yeah, I hate when, I like it when it's all like. One straight on, list. Right, because when it's all on one one page, like you can read it all. But like this thing, they got me like scrolling. Okay, most of these names, honestly, I'm looking at it. It's almost all exclusively um, New Japan guys. But the top two guys that they have listed are Danielson and Kenta, essentially. So I think. For most people, it's still going to be Danielson. Yeah. So, sorry, Russell Talk. You guys, you know, your format sucks. So. <laughs> uh, next question here from Red user Less Commission 7252. If Shibata could wrestle Wrestle Kingdom early next year, <laughs> should his first match back be against Kenta? If not, then who? I'm sorry. I'm looking at this list on Sportskeeda, and it's all WWE people. They want <laughs> <laughs> the big dog, Roman Reigns. They have Roman Reigns <laughs> on. They got number one Intercontinental WWE Champion Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> <laughs> number two Universal Champion Brock Lesnar. Which you know what? Like, if that could actually happen, that that would be fire. That would be like for me very high. They got uh, Kyle Riley. That would be good. Yeah. Roman Reigns, and then at number five, they've got uh, WWE Hall of Famer Edge. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best list I've ever seen, but uh, oh, man. let's move on. Yeah, so let's commission asks who should Shibata face at Wrestle Kingdom if he could be cleared and wrestle for that? Should it be against Kenta? Kenta? Period. Kenta. That's the match you do. It writes itself. It's easy. Right, there's literally like not much you have to do to set it up. Like comes out like I'm cleared, I'm I'm challenging Kenta, and then you you run from there. Now he said, if not him, then who? And I mean, honestly, I I don't even know. Like you do Kenta. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't do Kenta, then something's going wrong. Right. You know? I mean, clearly Okada's going to be wrapped up in the title picture. Um, and like you said, I think it's more poetic to do that at Sakura Genesis. I guess you could do Saber. Mm. If you're really, 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 really needing to, you could do Saber there. But, like, not – and, again, there are so many matches that are on the table, but, like, for that big spot and for him just returning, it needs to be something that is memorable, emotional, have significance and meaning. Those have got to be the top two guys. Unless somehow you got Brian Danielson into the country, like, that. that's what you do. Yeah, I would say another off – maybe not off, but another – potential pick you can do is Will Ospreay with the current LA Dojo United Empire feud that's happening right now on Strong. 
that you can I guess get. it all just, just depends on what they end up doing with those belts. Right. And with our three nights, so. Um, Viking Pain asks, so Shibata is going to clearly win the G1 next year <laughs> and uh, be crowned world champion, right? Just kidding. But do you guys think Shibata doing UWF rules matches going forward is a good thing? Or would you prefer for them to not tease you about a real Shibata return if it's not really going to happen? Uh, I'll say this. I'm fine with it either way, because at this point, um, there's been no indication that he will simply exist in the world of exhibitions, you know? Right. Um, And they never said that he was planned to, you know, uh, okay, let me put it to you this way. When he was getting physically involved in um, other like segments and storylines, that was something I didn't like because to me that's akin to basically like a tease, you know, you're telling me that he's able to physically do these things, but you're not going to give it to us. Um, and you're also building investment into the actual stories themselves and you can't even give us a payoff for it. That's something I didn't like, but this was, there was no story. There was no, no anything. It just was something they gave us and there hasn't been a follow-up to it since then. Aside from him just, you know, saying those few words about him being in gear down the road. So if this is just a one-off, I'm fine with it. If they simply allow him to compete in exhibitions down the road, there is precedent for that. We've seen times where guys like uh, Satoru Sayama and Antonio Inoki and different people like that competed in exhibitions in New Japan Pro Wrestling when they weren't, you know, able to keep competing on that same level with other people. So if it was periodic and big show, you know, I'm talking very periodic, sporadic. I'm fine with that too. Getting to see him in a nostalgia element, you know, um, show showcasing his skills. But, um, you know, I don't know if we're going to get him in all these scenarios going forward. It really just depends. I think that they're doing this. My gut tells me they're doing this because they expect that he will get cleared on some level at some point. Right, I feel like they're like they're to me. It's probably like ninety percent. Like I feel like they're so confident, like they're kind of heading the right the right path. Maybe the tests are looking good, and they feel like the, the clearance could come, you know, any any minute now. Uh, but I I totally agree with you. I do think you know if it it turns out he's not cleared, but they still want to use him and do these UWF rules, like you said, periodically. You do it a G one final, a, a Wrestle Kingdom, uh, a Dominion. You know, you, you bring him out for kind of a big kind of thing, a big show. I think that would be a cool thing to do and to bring him, use his star power, um, like you said, at nostalgia. Uh, but hopefully, you know, he is going to get cleared and we're going to see him in some regular rules matches. And I know there's some fans there that, like, the moment they see a guy like this go out there and compete, they're like, I don't get it. Why can't he do X, Y, Z? Well, maybe, like, he can't. And I feel like at least the Japanese audience who might have a little bit more patience with that sort of thing. And most of us fans should have a little bit more patience, understand the kind of trauma that this guy went through on a physical level, that if this is all he can do, so what, you know, right? Like at least it's something. And at least he's getting to fulfill his dream and showcase his skills and his passion. And we still get to see it. I mean, it's not maybe wrestling the way that you got, you know, that the average fan likes to consume it, but it's still wrestling and it's still a spectacle and still, you know, He's still a big name, and he can still do business. I bet you he still draws, you know? Yeah. 
And looking at the ratings and receptions, like I've seen a ton of people going four and a quarter, four and a half, like this match. On that on that five minute match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People love this thing. So people, yeah. Anything that's emotional like that, like that one Brody uh, um, memorial show, which while it was great, I'm not besmirching it, but like it got like some of the highest like show review or like you know grades that you'll ever see for a show. Same thing with like the Eddie Guerrero memorial. Sometimes those shows aren't even really that good, but it's just because of what they represent from a emotional standpoint. And I feel like that's what this match was like for some people. Yeah. Dom Homie 101 asked us with the return of Shibata. Uh, I don't know. This doesn't make sense. With the return of Shibata, is it that we see Shibata lead an LA Dojo based faction? Or. <laughs> Or does he pull up on Osprey to put hands, feet, legs, and uh, elbows on his ass for disrespecting the LA Dojo? <laughs> Did you copy and paste this? Yeah. Grammar people, I'm trying to read this. And like, I'm fixing it for you, but I was like, what the fuck? What does this say? Um, so, yeah. Uh, do you think that he's going to you know, lead a dojo, or do you think he's just going to um, run it with Osprey on site, as they say? I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's already kind of technically the leader of the L.A. Dojo. He's the main head trainer. They all kind of respect him. And anybody that feuds with those guys, they all tend to disrespect him. Um, and so I don't think he's going to be like, I don't think it's going to be like a faction thing where he's like the quote unquote leader and he's like doing promos with the, all of them behind him or anything like that. I think there's well, everybody knows Goto's the leader of the L.A. Dojo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he should have gone back to the dojo before this G1. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think they could do something with Osprey. Obviously, there's a ton of people who disrespected LA Dojo. You have you have Team Filthy. Um, so there's a ton of stuff they could do with that. And having the LA Dojo guys maybe try to stand up for him, and finally he, he's the one that has to kind of end the feud. So we'll see what they do. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so that's going to do that for that portion. We'll move on to the sixth match of the night, the semi-main event. We had uh, the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Shino Takagi. They defeated the um, Noge Dojo. <laughs> Noge Dojo. The, uh, what's, what's wrong with me? What, what would this unit be called? Uh, Huntai. Yeah, what's, I forget stuff like that. The Huntai <laughs> group of uh, Tenkoji, uh, Master Wato, and Rizuki Taguchi. Eight-man tag action, 12 minutes and 17 seconds. So yeah, Lij gets the win there. Um, not really much storyline elements with that matchup. I think Shingo won with the pumping bomber instead of Last of the Dragon or Made in uh, Japan, which yeah. was you know fine. Yeah. Uh, Post match, we got a lot of posing with them. They're a unified unit, even though Naito's bum knees are you know, keeping them out. And then that brings us to the G1 Climax 2021 final match as the A Block representative Kota Ibushi was defeated by the B-block finalist, Kazushiko Kata, by referee decision, 25 minutes, 37 seconds. Man, heartbreaking. Just absolutely heartbreaking with this match. And I feel bad for poor Kota Ibushi, man. Like, 2021 has been a rough year for him from the get-go. I mean, initially, he, he wins the double titles, uh, but then, you know, in in kayfabe, he's lobbying for the tiles to be merged. The tiles get unified, and, you know, fans are blaming Abushi for for the, the unification of the titles. He has that tile offense against Desperado that nobody cared about because it was supposed to be 
Hiromu, then he gets uh, aspiration pneumonia and has to miss several months and misses the match with Shingo. Uh, now he has his G1, and it's not that great of a G1, and then he get, he finally gets to his fourth finals. Fans are pissed that it's his fourth finals, and then he just completely eats it here on a Phoenix Splash and dislocates his shoulder. Yeah, and um, there was a similar injury that occurred during one of the, I believe it was Best of Super Junior tournaments, but I can't recall exactly, but Abushi had uh, years ago done, uh, I believe it was a Phoenix Splash as well, and injured one, if not maybe the same arm. So it's not that this has never happened, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, Abushi still high flies, still does, you know, some crazy things, but, you know, ever since going to heavyweight, ever since, uh, you know, putting on the muscle mass and kind of changing style up a bit, you know, not unlike Will Ospreay, uh, we haven't seen as many of these high-risk maneuvers, especially like the Phoenix Splash is something that he only pulls out in the biggest of matches, and uh, it didn't pay off in this one, unfortunately, which was also unfortunate, not just because of his own health and well-being, but because the match itself was starting to get, uh, the match itself was very good and was starting to get to that next level where there was really starting to pick things up. And then it just ended very anticlimactically. Um, was, was, was watching this with my girlfriend. She actually commented and said it reminded her of the Conor McGregor finish when his leg broke. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it does kind of leave you with a bad feeling in your stomach when you're watching it like that. It's kind of the same thing too. Or like when Anderson Silva broke his leg, or like when Chris Weidman broke his leg. You know, um, unfortunate injuries that you don't ever really want to see happen. That you know, kind of decide the finish of the match. Right, and you can just tell like as soon as he landed from that Phoenix Blast, like, he just ate it, and it was just not a great landing whatsoever. Um, and yeah, he so immediately started clutching his wrist, clutching his shoulder, and doctors had to come in and stop the match. Like you mentioned, like. Up to that point, like it was a very good approaching, you know, great matchup and so many great counters and spots. And Abushi hit a beautiful Asai moonsault earlier. Uh, but there's just so many just great counters, and you know, it was building to be like a you know a very great uh, G1 final matchup. And yeah, it's it's one of those things. Um, you kind of wonder why this sort of injury doesn't happen more often and i don't mean specifically this exact thing but you know not to say wrestlers don't get injured we hear about injuries all the time but you know very often they're not you know as serious as maybe they could have been or you see a lot of times where guys fall in ways or take maneuvers in ways where you imagine that they should be hurt and they're not um so it is almost a a wonder why this sort of thing doesn't happen more often given how much wrestling is out there uh you know as far as scale goes so i've always kind of wondered if something like this might happen and we've seen injuries in the g1 we've seen people have to take time off forfeit matches obviously naito's even out in this exact same g1 um but this was just heartbreaking and you know i didn't see this happen but you heard the commentary teams stating that he was like telling the attendance to get off of him and to help him basically pop his shoulder back into place and let him finish the match. And Red Shoes called the whole thing off. Um, so, you know, it's 
a little bit deflating just the way that it ended there. But, um, you know, we, we'll have an update on Kotobushi here later in the show, but the good news is it's not an arm break, so... Right, and it just, yeah, like you mentioned, it just totally, like, killed the mood. Like, Okada's supposed to be celebrating. You, know, you got confetti, you got the big G1 trophy and the flag, and you're supposed to be having this big celebration, but, like, you're, you're worried about Ibushi, and the match was ruined, and it just really kind of killed the whole mood of the closing of the show. Yeah, and I think Okada was going to win the match anyways. Uh, even just the booking of the match, they were clearly telling a story not dissimilar to the previous night's match where... Okada was looking to land the Rainmaker and Ibushi was avoiding it at all costs and actually countering it very many, many times. So it just seemed like a matter of time before he ate that Rainmaker and, you know, went to sleep. Um, Viking Pain asked, is this year really just an anomaly with freakish injuries to New Japan stars or did Gato break a mirror, walked under a ladder and crossed a black cat all on Friday the 13th for the company to get this cursed and um you know there something i was sort of thinking about all of this was uh you know actually i forgot my thought i'll throw it to you you <laughs> go ahead and answer that i'm just gonna say that you know the, the curse happened when he put the belt on evil like yeah things yeah never mind covid <laughs> <laughs> it's all evil's fault exactly you put you put the belt on evil and, and things just ain't ever been right since I know what I was going to say. Um, hear me out. I don't want anyone to think that I am putting the sole blame on someone like Gato, but there is a part of me that has to wonder, was Abushi ready to even be in this match in the first place, coming off of aspiration pneumonia? Mm. Um, now, granted, you know, I, I get, I do understand that, you know, just based off of, uh, you know, what logic would tell you, you know, he wrestled a big main event just before the G1 and looked pretty good all throughout the G1. I'm sure hopefully someone was checking in with him to see how he was doing and things like that. But um, there's a part of me that, and, and I'm not saying he couldn't, you know, that it was malpractice to have him in the finals. You know, it's not like he wasn't cleared. It's not like he couldn't go. But there was a part of me that's wondering, it's like, okay, this guy has had so many setbacks this year with, you know, injuries and sicknesses. And then, you know, you put him through this grueling G1. I understand they kept his match time relatively short, but is that maybe the wisest decision as opposed to other, you know, we talked about for business reasons, why this was a big money match last week. And that is still valid, but there's part of me that wonders like, why not go with maybe say Zack Saber or Kenta just because they didn't they haven't had to deal with the health issues that Abushi's had to deal with lately. Maybe that wasn't the prudent decision. You know? Right. I'm I'm not saying it's his fault or that this was bound to happen or the writing was on the wall, but you know, maybe that wasn't the best decision. You know? Just think about it for a second. I mean, I I don't know, that's like a thought that popped in my head. I don't know. Right, and also, like you mentioned, it, he was definitely cleared, but yeah, was he was he even, like, mentally ready for this? Like, we don't even know. Like, not even just physically. Was he even in the right mindset for a tournament like this, a spot like this, coming off of all that stuff? I, mean, I guess we'll yeah. truly never know, but, I mean, what's done is done, and it's absolutely heartbreaking, and, well, I'll have an update on him here in a second. 
Viking Pain asked, uh, what is your favorite G1 match this year? What wasn't? Who was your MVP? Who was a dud? And which returning or debuting guy impressed you the most? Who didn't? So that's uh, going to open things up quite a bit. Jeremy, I'm going to leave that mostly <laughs> to you. All right. So overall, my favorite match of the year was the night one main event between Tomohiro Ishii and Chingo Takagi. Um, those guys are just excellent dance partners uh, for each other and just had um, and had an amazing matchup. Uh, Least favorite G1 match this year. Oh, man. Any match at Yano. <laughs> That's valid. <laughs> um, who is your MVP for this year's G1? For me, overall MVP, I would go with Shingo Takagi. If you just look at the A block and you look at his match output and match quality, like he was have he had bangers with everybody. He had a banger with Ishii, uh, Saber, Great Okan, Abushi. Like all majority of Shingo's matches were in that four star to four and a half star ranges match. Killed it every night. Um, yeah, I would I would give it to Shingo. Okay, um, and uh, real quick, uh, I'm guessing second place is probably Zack Saber. Why would why did you pick him over Zack? Because I know a lot of people kind of had him pecked as the MVP. Yeah, I I would say Zack more more kayfabe wise could be the argument for the MVP just because he did tap out Naito, Abushi, and Shingo. He did have great matches, but when you look overall match quality i felt like chingo still had the overall better matches than saber did who was the biggest dud in this year's tournament i'm guessing that's gonna be like you know usually a dud means you expected something from them and they didn't deliver uh is it naito (laughs) well i mean that's unfair (laughs) man broke his leg out of his leg um I, i would probably maybe sonata the guy was oh, literally, he was in the G1 finals last year and finished with what, like eight points this year? Horrible, like, match quality for a guy his level. His match was in that, that mid three, three and a half range. Okay. Now he asked which returning or debuting guy impressed you the most. I mean, that's a lot. So let's just talk about guys that debuted. Uh, well, I, oh, he means returning. So I think what it means is, see, that was confusing me because. It, I'm like, most of these guys are returning. I think he means people that were out for some time and then... Got like Tamatonga. Like Tamatonga. So, of people that, like, let's just say, weren't in the G1 last year and either returned to the G1 field or debuted this year, who impressed you the most from that field? And then finally, who did not, you know, who got in this year that did not impress you? So, like I mentioned, Tamatonga is definitely one name I come to mind, you know, initially when I saw his name and I was like, man, we're going to you know, strap in. It's going to be 2018 G1. He's going to be talking. He's going to be doing shenanigans like the rest of the Bullet Club. But this guy was a red hot, fiery baby face, taking his shirt off, hitting superior flows, gun stuns out of nowhere, J drillers. Um, this guy had a really good tournament. Um, his brother, Tangaloa, was also uh, pretty impressive as well. Um Chase Owens worked really hard. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing if they had to put Chase in again. He worked really hard, had some good matches. Uh, great Ocon. Um, I thought Great Ocon did extremely well for his first G1, and especially those string of main events that he had back-to-back-to-back to back to back 
with uh, Shingo, Ishii, and Ibushi. Those matches proved to me that Great Okan can wrestle a New Japan main event style and can be called upon to be in a big New Japan main event. Um, as far as guys who didn't impress me that were in, um, I mean, Yano. I mean, I get Yano as the whole, uh, well, I guess Yano's been in every G1, but he's just a guy. No, you, it's got to be someone that either returned, that wasn't in the field, or debuted. Uh, let's see, who else could I talk about? Um... So you're talking about like Chase Owens, you're talking about Tamatanga, you're talking about Okan, you're talking about uh, Tingaloa. Yeah, I feel like most of those guys impressed and did, and did well. Okay, then we can move on. Um, well, NJPW well, has... Well, before, before we get to that, I didn't want to uh, give up my, uh, the top 10 matches of the tournament. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know where you wanted to do that. Do you want to do letter grades for the uh competitors as well or no uh i mean we could do that but that'd probably be mainly me since you didn't see everything but yeah we can go through that real quick i think people like to hear that stuff okay so uh first i'll do uh top 10 matches so at number 10 i have the g1 finals kazuchika okada versus kota abushi i went for and a quarter on that match um it was 25 minutes and it, it was it was really good until until the phoenix splash at i would i would concur at number nine, I got Kazuchika Okada versus Jeff Cobb, the B-Block final. I went four and a half, like we mentioned earlier. At number eight, I have Great Okan versus Shingo Takagi. Also went four and a half on that. On number seven, I have Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. Went four and a half on that. Also have this one labeled for a, a strong style fight of the year candidate. Because these guys are just slapping the crap out of each other in this matchup. It was awesome. Uh, Great. Number six, a, a, a non-tournament match I have here in my top ten, Hiromu Takahashi versus Tomohiro Ishii. Uh went four and a half on this. Just as well, I didn't I didn't know we could do that. You're playing fast and loose with the rules here, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'll 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 allow it. <laughs> it, it. It was the best matchup on that night. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, number five, I have Sonata versus Kazuchika Okada. Also went four and a half on that. At number four, I have Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Went four and a half. That was from night two main event. Then uh, number three, Kota Ibushi versus Shingo Takagi. Went four and a half on that. Number two, Tomohiro Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. Four and a half on that as well. And then like I mentioned earlier, my favorite match and my number one match was Tomohiro Ishii versus Shingo Takagi, which was the night one uh, A block main event for... And three quarters. I was a coward. Did not go the full five on it. Okay, awesome. Well, that's gonna uh, be our top ten. If you guys, you know, are listening now, you maybe missed any of those or didn't, you know, watch the tournament. You want to kind of cherry pick. Uh, that's, you know, I would say Jeremy is an accurate star raider. Okay, and uh, his opinions hold a lot of water when it comes to you know New Japan fandom. And uh, I would just say you better listen because if you uh, think this is a game, like ratings takes opinions, they're not a game they're, with us. They're not. We, we take those, our ratings takes and opinions very seriously. Very seriously. So um, I'm going to go ahead and list off the 20 competitors. Uh, we don't need to have a retrospective on these. You could just go ahead and give us a grade on each one of them. So 
We're going to start off with the A block. Uh, let's go with Tetsuya Naito. I mean, I don't know, how do you grade just one match? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like in school where, like, you didn't finish the, the, the class. How, you got to incomplete. How, we're, we're judging the G1 as a whole. What's this man's letter grade? F. <laughs> All right. Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, D. Mm. So that sounds like maybe you shouldn't come back. Yeah. Uh, after that, Tingaloa, six points. I go C+. Plus. Okay. The Great Okan, eight points. I go B+. Plus. Ah, it's pretty good. Tomohiro Ishii, 10 points. Uh, B plus. It's a little high. I, I was in another show. They, they, meant, they said B minus based off who he was and the output. I don't know. I, mean, I expect uh, I expect A plus output. So for, for me, this is, <laughs> this is a drop. Toriyano with 10 points, which is egregious. Uh, D minus. How come Yano had to get 10 points? Ishii couldn't go, go into the 12 mark. That meant... Zach Sabre Jr., 12 points. Uh, I would go... i give him an A. All right. Kenta with 12 points. I would go C+. Plus. All right. The champion, Shingo Takagi, with 13 points. I would go A for Shingo. All right. And then finally, Golden Star Kotobushi, 14 points. I'll give him a, a, a flat B. All right. So then uh, in the B block, we got Chase Owens with four points, bottom of the, the block. I go C+. Plus. Okay. Tai Chi, six points. I would go B+. Plus. Wow. So that's a guy that really impressed in this year's tournament. Uh, Tamatanga, six points. Uh, I would go flat B for Tamatanga. Wow. That's, a, that's huge. Uh, Yoshihashi, six points. I would go a flat B for Yoshihashi as well. Uh, that's eh. Hiroki Goto. Uh, Six points. I, I go C. All right. We got a Sonata sitting at eight. I'd also go a flat C for Sonata as well. All right. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, eight points. I'll go uh, B. Okay, awesome. And then uh, Evil, 14 points just outside the top. I'll give him a D. Wow, okay. Last two, we got Jeff Cobb sitting at 16 points. A plus. Holy crap. And then the the, uh, the B block winner, Kazushiko Okada, 16 points. Give him an A. Okay. Now, I just want to point out, you gave Jeff Cobb 16 uh, – an A plus and Shingo an A, but you said Shingo was your MVP. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess I could, I could bump Shingo up to A plus as well. Okay, okay, okay. All right. <laughs> this man's not consistent. <laughs> All right. Uh, NJPW has provided an injury update on Kota Ibushi in a statement released on their website. NJPW says that Ibushi suffered a right anterior dislocation of the shoulder plus joint lip damage. His estimated recovery time uh, was listed as two months. Got some questions here. Dom Homie 101 said, thoughts on the Kota Ibushi injury. Is it me or does it feel like Ibushi got injured before he did the Phoenix squash, the Phoenix splash. Uh, what does the future look like for the golden star when he returns? You know what? I did want to say, I noticed the same thing. 
Had, did you uh, have you you haven't rewatched this match, have you? I haven't rewatched. No. Okay. Because I went into the match knowing the injury was coming. I watched it with a different set of eyes, and I'd already seen the injury where he was grabbing the wrist, and it, it was the right arm, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. He gets drop kicked off the turnbuckle in the seated position, the way I described earlier. Um, oh, he's sitting. Okada does the drop kick. And he hits uh, the apron, which we already know is the hardest part of the ring. Then he hits the outside and the uh, the barricade. And he was kind of slow to get up. And the way he got up, he was holding the wrist in, in like a limp-prone position. There was a part of me that wondered if he, he like suffered a partial portion of the injury there. Yeah, maybe um, like... Maybe that's part of the reason why he landed it weird because he was trying to maybe protect his wrist when he was landing, and maybe that. I don't know. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I definitely noticed that. I wasn't going to bring it up on the show, but since Dom Homie went on saying something, that that is something I noticed. I don't know if that's what he's uh, referring to, but you know, uh, I think it's worth notice. Um, Viking Pain also asked, with the Bushi's injury now being reported as uh, to to be having a two month recovery time. Uh, do we expect to see him at Wrestle Kingdom 16? Which I do, if that's the case. But that seems like a two months is a pretty quick turnaround for something that sounds as serious as a, you know, dislocation. Um, I I'd heard that they also said that it was an anterior uh, fracture, like a dislocation, shoulder fracture, something like that. Yeah, and I mean, so if we if we, could, if we go two months from today, that would put us at uh, December 26th, which is obviously right in the build to Wrestle Kingdom, only a few days away. And so, yeah, I don't I don't know if he, I mean, I guess it's very easy to plug him in. He can just come out and, and challenge somebody and set a matchup, but it's gonna be a very tight squeeze, a very tight turnaround. Like like you mentioned earlier, you know, was he kind of rushed into the G one? Could he be rushed again into a Wrestle Kingdom situation? Yeah, and I mean, Abushi's been such an important part of Wrestle Kingdom the past few, uh, you know, years uh, sitting in the main event scene, and it feels like with whatever they're going to be doing with this, I'm calling it the Triple Gold Dash. Yep, <laughs> that's what I've been calling uh, it too. Um. I'm sure he would have been in play for whatever that's going to be. And so I'm expecting that they want to get him back in time to be involved with that. So who knows? I'm not a doctor, so I can't really speculate, but two months does sound like a short amount of time for a serious injury, but maybe it's not that serious. I don't know. Yeah. And I guess the one thing too, they had to fall back on is Abushi did beat Shingo in the tournament. Um, so he, he has a shot. He can call on that for a shot of the title too. Great. Now, in a post-G1 Climax 31 press conference last week, the G1 winner, Kazushika Okada, declared his intentions to bring back the IWG heavy, IWGP Heavyweight Championship version 4 as a symbol of his tournament win. He's quoted as saying, I won the G1, and I want to face Kota Ibushi again, but I feel there uh, should be something concrete to represent that. I'm not a champion, and I don't have anything to put up. The IWGB Heavyweight Championship that Ibushi retired, though. I'm not saying that people should call me the, what is this word, X-Dieth? Yeah, like you just put a number in there, like the... Oh, uh, okay. 
So he's saying he shouldn't be in the lineage of heavyweight of IWGP heavyweight champions or anything like that. But I want to hold that belt until Ibushi gets back. Um, and it's not. And then he did, in fact. I mean, we can jump to it. Right on, on the road to shows, he in lieu of bringing out a briefcase, he did bring out the IWGP version for belts. Not only that, but there were other comments that he made to the basically stating, and I'm kind of paraphrasing that he doesn't care that much about uh, Shingo's belt. He, this is the belt that he cares about. And then he said, you know, in this press conference, he said, I'm not the champion. I want to hold this belt as like a physical placeholder. But then he was talking about like, well, why should I challenge Shingo? I've got this belt. He should challenge me. And that like that doesn't compute in my mind, but that's kind of what's going on right now. So yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I I kind of like about it is the fact that he's like, well, I'm the I won the G1. Like that should make me like the best wrestler in the world. The champion didn't win the G1. Like I'm better than the champion. Um, so in hindsight, it kind of kind of reminds me of, like you mentioned, like you know, back in the day, like G one wasn't always for a shot, a shot at Wrestle Kingdom or a shot at the title. It was to prove like who is the the best wrestler in the company at the time. So with that kind of mindset, like Okada's like, well, I'm the best. I I won the whole tournament. Like I should be rewarded in some like I, there should be something to recognize me as a, as a champion because I'm the best in the company right now. So I do kind of agree with that. I think it's important to put emphasis on the G1 itself, but at the same time, there's no denying that, you know, in years past, you had one night of Wrestle Kingdom, that's your WrestleMania. Whoever wins the G1, they're headlining, and it's a big deal because they're headlining against the champions, the big protected match. They haven't done it in years. We're going to finally get whatever that is, big business, and it's a huge draw. But over the last couple of years, they've they've had these weird, convoluted, multi-man title scenarios where the G1 winner is included in that, but it's almost a secondary afterthought to the double gold dash or whatever last year, whatever you would call that. And now that we're going to three nights, and now that we're, we have three guys walking around with what are basically equated to being the top titles, um, it just kind of creates a scenario where like you can say in one hand, yeah, the G1 winner, you know, it means the most because he's better than the champion, but then the payoff for it is definitely diminished. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The only thing that I, that I like so far about this versus the first two double goal, double goal dashes is you have three guys that all kind of have like legitimate claims to their championships. Like, so obviously you have Shingo Takagi. He won the vacant championship. He is a champion. You have Will Ospreay who, the title was stripped from him due to injury not being able to defend in time so he never actually lost he was stripped so he does have a claim of being like I'm an uncrowned champion now you have Kazuchika Okada who just won the whole G1 and it should be recognized as the best in the company so you kind of have three guys all with three claims for being the best so unlike previous years where you have guys like Ibushi losing the contract they're in the mix you have Naito who lost IC title and he's still in the mix uh, so, so far, you have guys in the mix that all have a claim to actually being a champion. They do, and that is true, and I think that's probably the best way of looking at it if you're trying to stay positive about the situation. So, that's great. Um, I definitely think I'm the more pessimistic of the two of us. <laughs> and when I, when I look at that, I'm like, 
the only reason there's so many claims is because there's been so much trouble and turmoil in the company's title scene that it's created these scenarios where people have these quote quote claims. But like, let's face it, like, um, you know, Will Ospreay won a belt that was basically seen as like a new title didn't necessarily maybe have the same like lineage prestige and importance as the IWGP title had. And so that was like almost kind of weird at the time. And then, and then he didn't even get to defend it afterwards. Uh, really after the, the whole Shingo thing, like he goes away and it's almost like it left a, a big black mark on that portion of the title's existence. Then like you said, Shingo wins the title, it's vacated, but he never beat Will Ospreay. And in fact, he had just lost to Will Ospreay in the Twice. previous match. <laughs> Twice, yeah. So that's like another big black mark. And you can say what you want about how great he's been in the ring this year and, you know, some of the strong title defenses he's had. But the fact that he never beat Will Ospreay actually kind of diminishes. It, it, it's why all year people have been saying that the IWGP world title is cursed because there've been all these kind of things going on. And then uh, you have Okada bringing out a belt saying he's not the champion, but then acting as though he's the champion, which I guess there's some badassery to that, but it also kind of feels like when a kid, when you're playing with a kid and he play, he changes the rules of the make-believe game that you're playing, you know, it's like when, when other people in the tournament, they didn't get to carry a belt around and, act as though they were the champion when you were the champion and let's say Tetsuya Naito had won the G1 you know if he had started carrying a belt around you would have like Okada would have acted some kind of way about that you right. know he would have I mean? been pissed yeah right but this year he's not the IWGP champion he happens to be the G1 winner he's like well you know I'm the best because I won the tournament so I get a belt no that's not how that works <laughs> and He's reintroducing a the old version of the belt that everybody loves, you know. But right. what does it represent, you know? And what's on the, you know? Obviously, I guess we're gonna learn down the line. But you got three guys. I don't like the idea of three guys walking around with the top title um, because it diminishes the fact that there's should have just been one strong world champion all along. And this goes way back. It's not just recent with the creation of this title, although that's a part of it. it. goes back to the double gold. It goes back to unifying the white and the black belt. Um, so, yeah, no, I, to, I will tell you, I'm not a fan of it. And even, even though there is a prospect that the V4 belt could come back, and I know a lot of people like that. I'm sure Okada's getting a lot of support for that. I always liked the idea that an aspect of the story was supposed to be, or at least in my perception was that Okada has challenged for and never won the world title. It's a new milestone for him to, to pass. And instead he's acting as though, you know, everything we're, we're going to reset everything that happened this past year was a mistake. I'm going to, I'm going to carry the belt that I always carried. And it's like, well, but you're not learning from your failure to challenge for the new title. Like this milestone becomes not a milestone at all. It's like when Naito used to throw the white belts around, people are like, well, why would, why should we care about you having that belt? Right. When you don't care about it. And I, I don't like the idea that the ace of the company is uninterested and unrecognizing 
the true lineage of the new world title that they have. The other thing too, and I'll leave it at this so we can uh, answer some of these questions. I was a huge opponent to them getting rid of that title, getting rid of its lineage and design and bringing in a new belt. Everyone knows that. But once you've done it, it's once, done. <laughs> once you do it, it's done. And then let's say now, hypothetically, he brings the, let's say, let's say however this shakes out, Okada wins it all. And he brings back the, uh, the old belt design. Are we reinstating the lineage of the original belt? And is it just going to be a title that was in recess, you know, right. for, a, for a year while these, uh, or whatever the time period was, while these other, while this other faux world title got defended, are they going to get, are their lineages going to get amalgamated into one another? And they're just going to continue to be recognized or, and, and you know, maybe that's the best way to do it. Maybe you say that this is a full unification and they reinstate the IWGP's lineage into it. Maybe that would be cool. But it, that, that almost seems like a retcon. Right. It, it gets very sticky depending how they do this and how this turns out. When, when you're like a record stats guy like me and you like the idea of the goofy, dinky lineages and who's the true champion and where did this belt come from and, you know, what title got passed to what guy – and then you start playing around with it and bringing back the old title and disregarding the new title, it really makes the whole thing messy and murky. And that creates a situation where the title becomes a prop and it's not of the importance that it should be. And for years, the IWGP title has been one of, if not the most prestigious titles out there. So that's like the traditionalist of me is looking at this and I'm like, huh. plus, oh yeah, I guess I'll throw this out there. Plus, it's the third year in a row that we've had to have a convoluted title, uh, you know, situation mandate the, the ongoings at Wrestle Kingdom instead of having that awesome G1 winner face that awesome champion in that awesome match. You know what I mean? Right. So those are my <laughs> <laughs> lists of concerns and complaints when it comes to this thing. And well, I feel like those need to be discussed. Yeah, definitely. And we have a ton of questions here. First from the Puro Poppy says, so the Wrestle Kingdom main events are shaping up to be some sort of double gold dash slash title versus title scenario involving the V4 heavyweight title and the world heavyweight title. I've seen a lot of support for Okada restoring the V4 title as a top title and initiating some sort of soft reset for NJPW. I understand where this comes from, but I also feel like this is a slap in the face to those who stuck with the product through the pandemic period. What do you think is the ideal situation coming out of the upcoming Wrestle Kingdom shows? Who should be the top champion and what title should they be holding? Well, it's a loaded question. We we don't know how it's going to shake up. I mean, Jeremy, there's three nights. You and I are both, we didn't even talk about this off there, but I think we're both in, in agreement. This is probably more likely a triple gold dash. Right. There's going to be some kind of, yeah, I don't know how it's going to work out, but all three of these guys, it's going to be a series of matches with all three of these guys that leads to a grand finale of one guy walking away with three belts. And I kind of like the idea of reintroducing the IWGB titles lineage into this one. But um, at the same time, it's like, what right does Okada have to being the guy that does that? He didn't even, <laughs> right. He didn't even really win the title. So it gets murky there. 
but um, as far as a, you know, a slap in the face to those who stuck around during the pandemic, I don't know if he means the performers. No, I think he means the fans. Like for for people who you know, we've seen a ton of fans who have stopped watching New Japan during the pandemic, and it's kind of a slap in the face to us who have been around this whole time. Because obviously, with the B four is back, fans are going to come back, and you know, if, yeah. if this becomes a the main title, that's going to be an attraction thing to bring back laps fans. Hey, I, I get it, but, you know, that's just a reality. There are going to be things that happen in wrestling where, for business purposes, companies have to go away from one some of the stuff that may, like, for instance, look at TNA and what they did to the X Division at, around 2010. You know, look at how Ring of Honor changed after they went to HDNet and after Sinclair Media Group and all them bought them. You know, they changed. Right. You know, th- this is just a fact of life when... There are times where companies and or oh Noah going from the green uh, from the green match when they rebranded people really didn't like that shit. So this sort of stuff happens. I mean, at the end of the day, if it makes the product hypothetically better, and I'm not saying it would, but if it did and it attracted more people, then that's always a good thing, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's my that's my optimistic take on it. And I think the ideal situation here is we need to leave Wrestle Kingdom with one undisputed champion. I'll say I don't know if they're gonna keep the world title or the V four title or they're gonna create a triple triple crown title. I thought uh, about that, and I I don't like that idea. Yeah, they they we, we need one undisputed champion. I mean, at this point, like you said, I mean, I, I kind of feel like what's done has been done with the world title, and this should be a unification and this being the unified world heavyweight championship and just keep going on with what you're doing. But I guess if they really wanted to, they could add the, the lineage of the world title to the IWGB title and go from there. There could also be the, the, um, who knows? Maybe, oh yeah. You know what? Maybe there could be like those sorts of things. Like <laughs> I'm not a big fan of this, but what if they said, whichever man wins, that's the lineage that gets to stay. So like if Will wins, he would have still been recognized as have, having been the real champion all along. Mm. And, you know, like let's say Shingo's title reign would have got called an interim title reign, you know? And also not only that, you get to keep your belt because each one of them does have, even though Shingo and Osprey have uh, similar belt designs, they are slightly different. So, um, and that is an important thing, you know, like for instance, Shingo's belt has some damage on it. Um, and that was always a, a big part of the title. Like when they would zoom in on it, you would see the weathered nature of it. That would kind of add to the story of the belt. So like maybe whichever one wins, they get their version of the belt and their lineage gets recognized. Cause obviously if Shingo wins, both of these two guys like Jabron, you know, uh, claims get ignored and his belt stays there and everything's as it was or if okada wins the v4 belt comes back and replaces the other two belts but and maybe it's still the world title but the the original iwgp lineage gets lumped into it yeah not not sure how i feel about that but that is definitely on the table um so i think that this is a real thing that could happen yeah so out of those three guys, Osprey, Okada, and Chingo, who do you think should be the guy that leaves with as the undisputed champion? And you know, this is also assuming that they don't have other title defenses on those nights that result in them maybe losing the belt to whoever, you know, like say Ibushi, for instance. 
Um, for me, I don't know. Like, there's a part of me that thinks it should be Okada, but I don't like the way I think it really should pan out. If you want my honest, true opinion, Okada wins and carries the belt that Shingo is wearing and is recognizing the lineage that Shingo has, period. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, probably actually, they're probably going to use Will's belt since that's the replacement because the other one got damaged. Plus it has a, a smaller waist. <laughs> so so I think that that's part of it. But um, yeah, I think the winner should just carry the world title that's been established and that's it. And I think maybe it should be Okada. Yeah, but, I, I think for business purposes, it probably makes the most sense for Okada to leave all three shows as the undisputed world heavyweight champion. But there's this feeling in me that I just feel like Will Osprey oh. is going to be the guy. Like I feel like you know they're they were wait they're going to beat Okada with Osprey in the dome in the fake Tokyo Dome show Wrestle Grand Slam, and I I feel like they want to get that Osprey win over Okada at the dome. Yeah, well, look at how many crowning achievements these three guys, but especially Shingo and Osprey, have had in the pandemic era in empty arenas with clap crowds, you know, it's just not quite the same thing. Like neither one of them have truly been established as like a main, main event player in front of a, a raucous crowd. And there, we have some reason to believe that this year's wrestle kingdom will be more like your traditional wrestle kingdom. So um, yeah, I could see that. And then, you know, there's also an argument for Shingo just because of kind of what I said there, like, even though he's been the champion, and, and he's never, A, beat Will Ospreay for, you know, at least in their recent string of matches as heavyweights with the title on the line. Um, and he's never been made in front of a big crowd like this. And maybe that's what you do is you finally, like, just establish him as a true, true, true player. Like, the him winning the title wasn't a fluke. And you go from there. I don't know. Yeah, I think that would be great. I think it's a great way to, I know it's not about rewarding, but it would be a great way to reward him for his work during the pandemic era. And I mean, you could call it rewarding or you could also call it like wise booking because he's already a star. Like why not, you know, capitalize on it. Right. Um, Viking pain asked with the injuries to Naito and Ibushi, how would you build the Wrestle Kingdom 16 main event three days this year? Okada, Osprey, Shingo, maybe Jay in some sort of double gold dash thing again. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the way the build's going to come, like we mentioned, with all three guys, Osprey, Okada, and Shingo, all fighting their claims on who the actual champion is. Now, I don't know yeah. how, how you get a, a Jay White involved. I mean, I know for Ibushi, Ibushi beat Shingo, he can throw his name in the hat and maybe face Shingo before Shingo even gets into the triple gold dash. Uh, I mean, the, again, there are three nights, so maybe they're... I've thought about a few different scenarios. Like what if, what if they have to have title defenses on those first two nights and then they do a triple threat on the third night? I'm not a big proponent of that, but that's a possibility. Right. Or what if they do a round Robin between the three champions on those three nights? Yeah, that, that could happen as well. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the other thing is with the defenses, maybe you do get, uh, I don't know, just throwing some names out there. Maybe you do get Ibushi, Cobb, and Jay White 
involved in this whatever this might end up being that's those are just ideas. i don't know how it's going to be booked i'm not going to book it out but those are things i could see happening yeah next question from emj does pr is could njpw fuck up the legacy of the fourth generation title any worse <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know exactly what he means by that but maybe like do you think it could in some sense be seen as like disrespectful for okada to be trudging that belt around and he never won it in any sort of real le- legitimate fashion you know yeah i mean i, I definitely could see how some people can see it as disrespectful it's kind of weird like like you mentioned like these, these previous years we've had a briefcase to represent the the right holder and the winner of the g1 and now he's just pulling out the iwgp you know version four title and it's like all right so is going forward like every year is a g1 winner going to get that title now is that going to be the new like the G1 championship? Does that overthrow? You know, the- that's not a bad idea. I mean, well, maybe in a certain, maybe that would get old. I don't know. But, like, maybe having a belt represent the G1 uh, winner would be, like, a, a thing. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe that also detracts from the actual title itself. So, who knows? Right. But I feel, I feel like then you get caught in this loop of double gold, triple gold dashes if you have a G1 right. champion. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, Okada's kind of been getting called out by different people for not being, like, the best, like, leader of chaos, maybe not the best team player. And then I even heard people were complaining about the way he, like, addressed chaos at the post-match after he was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, I almost feel like Okada's like, fuck, I give, you know, I don't give a fuck about legacies and... <laughs> Right. What what I care about that for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Dom Homie 101. Oh, go ahead. No, uh, no, you got go ahead. Dom Homie 101 said, is it possible we see Okada go to the Kenta route and just defend the fourth IWGB title similar to Kenta defending the red briefcase for a long period of time? Oh, like, like he just holds on to it and doesn't like cash in a title shot against Shingo or anybody? Uh, That'd be weird. That would be weird. But I think he's talking about well, Ken- Kenta defended the the red briefcase a lot, kind of in that build up before he finally faced Moxley, and so I think we are going to see. Whilst but also he- for a long time until he finally fought him. So like, what if, what if they don't? I don't know. They of course they would probably not do this, but like, what if for some reason he doesn't like wrestle Shingo during Wrestle Kingdom and he just keeps holding the belt post that like. <laughs> I don't know. That'd yeah. be weird, right? That that could be weird. I mean, we're we're gonna talk about the power struggle card here in a second, but we do have a, a briefcase or a right to challenge match with Tama and Okada. So is the belt on the line? I, I don't know. <laughs> he also asked with Okada bringing back the fourth version of the IWGB Championship. How does this make guys like Shingo and Osprey look like? Well, I think it's kind of like what you were saying earlier. Uh, it's like you, it kind of devalues the the main world championship. The more guys you have running around saying that they're they're champion, um, so in one sense it could it kind of hurts mainly Shingo because he is the actual world champion. Uh, I guess. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I, I do get like the whole the claim. Like I get Osprey's claim. I do get Okada's claim. Yeah, I mean, and we've, I've talked about this on the show before, like, you know, the whole thing with the All Japan Triple Crown was the long, lengthy history of those belts and the prestige of who had held them and where they came from and everything. When they were added together, they became a whole that was greater than the sum of their parts, which was already 
pretty substantial, you know? But when you look at this, you're talking about a fake world title, a fake version four belt, and then the real recognized world title, which has only been in existence for a very short period of time that's held by someone who didn't beat the previous champion. So you got literally three belts that are weak as fuck <laughs> being added together. And I don't think it makes them actually stronger at the end of it. it it's almost like worse off because they have done this because they can't still continue. Like I'm some, I'm, I'm of the different opinion of the way they book these big wrestle kingdom shows. I think they could easily do the, the G one winner against the IWGP champion and then headline the other night, or I guess two nights now with other shit. And then you can fulfill the whole junior champion headlining a Tokyo Dome show or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely other options. Yeah, you can get a junior title match at the main event. You can do a, a crazy blood feud. Like if Shibata comes back, you could, you could do Shibata in a main event in a non-title match, something like that. Right. Or you've got those other belts that are held by supposedly big stars in Tanahashi and Jay White. Is there any reason that you couldn't do something compelling, a big enough match where Tanahashi with the red belt couldn't headline and elevate the <laughs> prestige of the United States title or Jay White? You know, he's headlined domes too. Like, I don't see why you couldn't do that. Like, this, this whole route just seems super convoluted to me. Yeah. Well, real quick. And, and I'll say this, it was cool once. Like, do it once. Cool. But like, I blame I blame Becky Lynch. <laughs> when Becky two belts became a thing, all of a sudden everyone had to hold two, three, four, five belts. Like that this is her fucking fault. And Ronda Rousey. Blame the man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so real quick, let's take a look at the Power Struggle card that was announced. Obviously, we'll do predictions when we get a little bit closer to the actual show. But so, as announced, we have the main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Shingo Takagi will defend against Zack Sabre Jr. The right to challenge for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship will be on the line as Kazuchi Okada defends against Tama Tonga. The IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship will be on the line as Hiroshi Tanahashi defends against Kenta. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship defense, Robbie Eagles will defend against El Desperado. We will have a provisional KOPW 2021 match between Toriano and the great Okan. And Toriano and Okan have proposed their stipulations for the November 6th about Yano has proposed a amateur rules match while Okan has proposed a kiss my feet match. And the stipulations are posted on the NJPW Global Twitter account right now for fans to vote in. As of right now, Yano's amateur rules match has been winning the poll. Oh, we're g- they're going to start off in, uh, you know, positioning. Referee's positioning. <laughs> it's going to be a shoot. <laughs> uh, there will also be a never open weight six man tag defense as Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi will defend against the House of Tortures, Evil, Yujiro Takahashi, and Sho. Then we'll have L.I.J., Sonata, Hiromu, Bushi taking on Nagata, Taguchi, Masuato. Then Makabe, Hanma, and Tiger Mask against Tangaloa and Gato and Jado. And then the show will open up with Yoshinobu Kanamaru and Doki versus Oiwa and Fujita. Man, 
Uh, Stack Show. Uh, Rampone Slam Pig said the card for Power Struggle looks pretty good. Is there a match you think will surprise or over-deliver relative to expectations? Um, what are you thinking there? Um, honestly, I there's not really anything popping out to me that I think will be a surprise or over-deliver. Based on what's here, I feel like all the matches are going to deliver to what I expect them to deliver to. Yeah, I mean, you could probably say something like uh, Evil and Desperado have a lot of potential, you know. Um, I guess the same thing potentially with Okada and Tamatonga, depending on what kind of match they have. But, you know, I think I think a lot of this is you're going to get you, – you see exactly what you're going to get ahead of time, basically. Yeah, I mean, Okada and Tamatonga, they had a really good match in G1, and depending on the time they're given, like, I think they could have another really good match yet again, and also they can tease the gun stun, which – and the J-Driller that put Okada away. So I think that's an added drama that could add there. So I think everything here is going to be what you expect. I think Tanahashi and Kenta could have the, could, um, under a really great red belt match. They they did. I was thinking based off of Kenta's G1 and how he was doing a lot of gimmicking and powdering and shenanigans. Like if that happens in this Tanahashi match, that could undeliver to what people uh, expect. Uh, Gatone asked, who do you guys think, if anybody, will return for the upcoming tours? But we already have the pretty much everything locked, right? Yeah, so, I mean, the one return that we have is uh, Aaron Hanare is back on this Power Struggle tour, and he's uh, coming back in from his injury and being in lockdown. Uh, we have Eagles. Yeah, Eagles is back from the U.S. Um, and That's about it. That's about it, yeah. So, um... We've had some Power Struggle Road 2 shows uh, Sunday, October 24th. Um, I'm assuming you just want us to run through these? Yeah. Um, Tenzan, Wato, and Taguchi defeated Flying Tiger along with Oiwa. Um, House of Torture, the six-man unit, defeated the chaos team of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi uh, along with uh, Fujita in eight-man tag. Unite Empire... Hanari and Okan defeated Kojima and Yano, 11 minutes. Tanahashi and Nagata defeated the Bullet Club team of Gato and Kenta, 10 minutes, 14 seconds. And then uh, the Bullet Club team of Jado, Tamatanga, and Tingaloa defeated Okada, Togi Makabe, and Tomoaki Hanma. Main event, eight-man tag team elimination-style match. We had the team of Suzuki, Doki, Desperado, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr., they defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Shingo Takagi. Saber and Bushi were the final two of the match. Saber won by submission with yes, I am a long way from home. Yeah, and also in that match, uh, Saber did eliminate Shingo, and there was a, a face-off post-match, so obviously building the feud for that title match. Then on Monday, October 25th, we had Sho defeating Oiwa in the opener. Then LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, they defeated Fujita and Gucci. United Empire, Aaron Hanaro and Great Okan defeated Makabe and Yano. LIJ team of Sonata and Chingo defeated Kojima and Hanma, also known as the Breadhead team. Then the same main event, we had Zugun team of Doki, Desperado, Kanamaru, and Saber defeating Flying Tigers, Tenzon, and Master Wato. And then the main event was a 10-man tag elimination match with the Chaos team of Goto, Okada, Ishii, and Yoshihashi teaming with Tanahashi. And they defeated the Bullet Club team of Evil, 
Kenta, Tamatanga, Tengaloa, and Yujiro Takahashi. And then today, Tuesday, October 26th, we had another Road 2 show as the LIJ team of Hiromu and Sonata. They defeated Taguchi and Yuji Nagata. Um, Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Yujiro Takahashi, the Bull Club. They defeated the cast team of Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Master Wato. Third match, the United Empire, Hinari, and Great Okan. They defeated Hanma and Yano. The fourth match, Tanahashi and Toge Makabe defeated Bull Club team of Gato and Kenta. Fifth match of the night, Jado, Tamatanga, and Tengaloa. The Bull Club defeated Tenzan, Okada, and Kojima. Semi-main event, Doki and Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Bushi and Shingo Takagi. And then the main event, we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line as Flying Tiger, Robbie Eagles, and Tiger Mask. They defeated El Desperado and Yoshinabu Kenemaru, 20 minutes and 30 seconds. So we had a title change. Robbie Eagles, who is also the reigning IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, is now a double champion in New Japan for Wrestling. And it feels like Every IWGP <laughs> champion for the past couple of years has also, at some point, simultaneously held the tag titles. So yeah, very interesting that they pulled this uh, win up here. You know, Eagles and Tiger Mask kind of a thrown together team. Um, they did in the little Super Junior Tag League that they did. Uh, wasn't expecting these guys to get the win here. So yeah, big kind of surprising win. And Eagles goes into the title match at Power Struggle with both belts and a lot of momentum. Awesome. So that's going to um, do it for that. We've got some um, Power Struggle Road 2 shows coming up on Wednesday, October 27th, Friday, October 29th, Saturday, October 30th, Sunday, October 31st, Halloween, uh, Monday, November 1st, and then Thursday, November 4th. Uh, did you want to run through each and every one of these, or were there big matches that you wanted to point out? I wasn't sure. That's a lot of shows. <laughs> a lot of shows. We don't have to run through the cards. You guys can go to njpw1972.com, click on the schedule, and look at the upcoming cards. There really aren't any other really big matches. They're all kind of multi-man matches building up to Power Struggle. You have some Young Lion matches in the opener, like Show and Fujita, Taguchi, Fujita, Yujiro, and Oiwa. Uh, we have Yuto, was... Yuto Nakashima oh, is returning, the Young Lion who got injured. He's coming back on the 31st show. That's what I was going to say. That's the one big thing is Yuto Nakashima returning to take on Oiwa and then taking on Fujita the next night. Yeah, besides that, that's pretty much it. So we can move on to the next thing, which is Battle wow. in the Valley. Yeah, I'm looking at these lists, and I'm like, there's not even, like, there's not even, like, you know, your signature style road to matches that, like, where you need to see it. Right, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm wow. sure the guys will work hard, but, yeah, there's nothing, like, can't miss, at least on paper. So let's talk about Battle in the Valley, Saturday, November 13th. We had some uh, big updates there. Yeah, so first thing, uh, during the Philadelphia tapings, there was a video package for Buddy Matthews, the former Buddy Murphy. He will be debuting at Battle in the Valley. Yeah, uh, a lot of people excited about that. Um, welcome addition. Uh, you know, interesting to see what they plan to do with him, pair him up with, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we also... Uh, received word that Kasushika Okada has been added to NJPW San Jose show next month. Uh, we kind of already hinted at that quite a bit here on the show. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Rambo Slam Pig asked, Okada is in the States November for an NJPW show. Do you think we'll hear a coin drop on TNT around the, the same time? 
or is that too big of a name to come through the forbidden door at this point? I don't know. I mean, of course, it would be awesome to have Okada do something in AEW while he's here, but he's just a big star. I feel like if you're going to use him, you you want to build or something, and I would think you would build to a pay-per-view match with one of the top AEW guys. Yeah, I don't know if you bring him in for, like, a small one-shot unless, I mean, if you did, you pretty much have him beat someone that's a big enough name that can eat the loss cleanly, like, pretty easily, but uh, I with everything going on right now with the title picture and G1 season or, you know, with Wrestle Kingdom season coming up, that wouldn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, right. We'll see. And I do think with Okada officially being announced and there is rumors of Shingo being on this show as well, I think we're going to get the the big angle for the triple gold dash at this show with Okada, Shingo, and Osprey all being in the same building. I agree. Um, there's also a new never open weight title match that was added Jay White versus Tomohiro Ishii. Um, and, you know, we kind of already knew that that was sort of going to happen based off some of the angles that they've had. Uh, Ishii has agreed to the stipulation that if he loses, he can never challenge for the Never Open Weight Championship again. He agreed to the new stipulation after Jay White cut a promo accepting the challenge Ishii had uh, issued back in September. White said he would only accept it, however, if the stipulation was added. So, you know, obviously that title's synonymous with names like Tomohiro Ishii and like uh, Goto and Shibata. So if he can never hold that belt again, that would be a pretty big um, development in, you know, just the landscape of New Japan. Yeah, and I think, too, this match is going to be very important, just the future of the Never title, because I feel like they were trying to make it the secondary title with the IC being retired but now the u.s title is finally back so i mean if ishii wins i feel like it's going to be slotted back to what it was then if jay wins i think they're going to continue to try and elevate it i could see that um and so yeah i don't disagree dom Hoey 101 asks will you guys be attending the battle of the valley show any thoughts on what the card will look like and uh i can say we will not be at the show um you know we probably could if we wanted to but uh you know, I don't think I got the money in time to do all that. <laughs> yeah, November's a busy time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as far as the card, I don't know. I, I don't personally want to speculate on it. The only thing we do know, and it hasn't been added here, I don't know if we talked about it. John Moxley was originally announced for this show, but it's happening on the same night as one of the AEW pay-per-views, so it's he's kind of, like, been pulled, I guess. Yeah, Moxley's officially been pulled from Battle in the Valley. Um, they didn't make up for it. He was on the Philadelphia tapings with uh, him and Archer again, or him and Kingston against Archer and Suzuki. But I'm assuming that there'll probably be another make good in the future to use Moxley. Yeah. Other than that, I, I couldn't even begin to speculate what the show's going to look like. Uh, I did hear some people, well, there was something where um, Buddy Matthews was on social media saying, give me Okada. Right. Yeah. That's what he wants. Yeah. So, you know, what if they did him and Okada? Autumn attack, you know. It'd be it'd be a great uh, first you know, matchup for uh, Matthews. He could live out his Kenny Omega cosplay and face Okada. Yeah. They can, you know, <laughs> have an Okada Omega match. Um, <laughs> so anyways, um, that's going to do it for news on that. We're going to move on to New Japan Strong Autumn Attack. Night 3, Saturday, October 23rd. Um, four matches here. Yeah, so the show opened up. We had Alex Coughlin, Kevin Knight, Ren Narita, and Rizuke Taguchi, and the DKC. They defeated the team of Brogan Finley, brother of David Finley, David Finley, Freddie A. Hyatt, Wheeler Utah, and Will Allday, a local Texas indie guy. 
a good opening matchup here. It's kind of like your standard kind of, you know, young lion multi-man opener. Everybody got their, their shot to shine. I thought Brogan Finley looked uh, pretty good here, uh, but the Coughlin team gets the win. In the second matchup, we have the Dirty Birds of Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson and Robbie Eagles. They defeated the Bull Club team of Chris Bay and El Fantasmo. A fun little matchup there. Then the semi-main event, we had the United Empire, the new member, TJP, him and Will Ospreay. They defeated the team of Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks. Very good matchup here. Started hot. The LA Dojo guys, they jumped Ospreay and TJP in the entranceway. Wild brawl throughout. Uh, very good back and forth matchup here. But towards the end, Ospreay pulled off the turnbuckle pad. TJP was able to hit Connors into it. And TJP pulled a schoolboy, got the win there. So I do think that is one match we could see at Battle in the Valley is TJP versus Clark Connors and continuing that rivalry there. And then the big main event, we had the bull rope match between Juice Robinson and Hikaleo kind of capping off of their feud. Juice Robinson ends up getting the big victory here. Hikaleo's becoming the, the plunder god of New Japan Strong for all the stipulation matches he's been having. But this was a very good back and forth matchup here. A lot, a lot of plunder, a lot of innovative spots, and Juice getting a, a big win here. Nice. And then this coming up Saturday, we have more autumn attack action with a main event of Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer versus Tom Lawler and Royce Isaacs. Semi-main event will have Leo Rush versus Taiji Ishimori. I'm really looking forward to that one. And right. The, and the show will open up with Fred Rosser and our good friend Rocky Romero versus Team Filthy's J.R. Kratos and Danny Limelight. So here in the news, we've got some updates. Uh, in Japan, with COVID cases way down and everyone on the roster vaccinated, they're going to change and do more matches on the big shows and even the regular shows as well as longer big shows. Uh, I don't think we've heard anything about the mandates as far as like the uh, protocols for the crowd changing just yet, but I'm expecting that's you know probably on on the way as well. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, there was a new Black Tiger that debuted on October 17th and attacked Rocky Romero and Tom Lawler said it was Romero's pass coming back to finish him. Romero earlier in his career was the fourth Black Tiger in New Japan following Rollerball Rocco, who made the gimmick, um, Eddie Guerrero and Cesar Gonzalez, who was better known as Silver King. Uh, do you know who the Black Tiger is? Uh, I saw a name of who possibly I, I, could. I know who it is, but I don't know if we're supposed to say, is it like spoiling or? Uh, yeah, it probably would be spoiling, so. Okay. So, um, you can look that up. It's out there. Um, he's got history in the LA area. Well-known indie wrestler, that's all I'll say. Um, also on the October 17th show, saw, saw the return of Gabriel Kidd, who did a tremendous interview, really a must-see. He was living in Japan and at the dojo, didn't get home uh, didn't go home during COVID. And then there was an issue regarding COVID on the road. And he basically went into major depression. He said that this was uh, about to get real. He talked about living in the dojo in Tokyo for 18 months during COVID. He said that led to communication issues with his family as he never came back to see them. He said that this past May, he was on top of a building, was thinking about jumping off. And he said that two things that stopped him. Uh, one was he thought of how his mom would react. And the other was his love for pro wrestling. He issued a challenge to Jonathan Gresham to a match in Riverside. Gresham came out. Kid said he would not let Gresham out wrestle a British wrestler. Told him to uh, go back and study more Stephen Gray tapes. Um, Gresham said that he had no idea who Kid was since he's been following New Japan, but that he wanted to give respect to Alex Coughlin. 
who he had just wrestled, and he accepted Kid's challenge. Uh, the two shook hands. Kid then talked about if anyone is going through depression and has issues to seek help from family and friends. Yeah, so that, um, that so yeah. pretty heavy stuff there. Yeah, really powerful. And they they made that whole segment available on their YouTube channel. I would definitely, you know, if you don't have a, a trigger for that, I think it should definitely go out of the way. Work, watch it. Very emotional uh, promo there with uh, Gabriel Kidd. And, um, yeah, I'm just glad that he did decide not to jump and he's uh, doing better now. And I just hope that, you know, he will continue to get the help that he needs. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, him and Gresham at the Detonation uh, tapings. He told Gresham to go watch Steve Gray. I will say this. I, I've said this on the show many times, but most people probably wouldn't recall. But, like, it's a widely known fact that Steve Gray – like literally my favorite world of sport wrestler. <laughs> um, so that's really funny that he brought up Steve because Steve Gray. So like nobody knows him, you know? Right. Like, um, yeah. For my money, the best counter wrestler that there's probably ever been and the best like escape style wrestler. Like, yeah, he, he fucking rocks. If you if you guys have never seen Steve Gray, you should check him out. And I'm not saying like an you know, old t- like oh he's great like Harley Race was great. I'm talking like he's great like Brian Danielson's great. Mm. Um, Will Osprey will be holding an online meet and greet live on YouTube in collaboration with Tokon Shop Global. Um, other news: Prestige Wrestling uh, original and NJPW star Clock Connors returns to rise above. Um, that's for Prestige, I'm assuming. Yeah, Prestige Wrestling. Yeah, February 27th, uh, 2022. Awesome. Uh, fresh off the G1, Jeff Cobb returned to Defy to face uh, Jacob Fatu. Uh, Defy will return to Washington Hall um, at Defy Marauders. That's October 29th. So I also saw that he's wrestling. Um, uh, it's East Coast versus the world. Have you heard about East Coast Wrestling? I have not. East Coast no. Pro? No. Oh, I'm sorry. West Coast Pro. Okay, I've heard, I have heard of West Coast Pro. Yeah, they're like blowing up. They're doing a show. I don't know the exact date, but it's West Coast Pro versus the world, and it's Chris Dickinson against uh, Jeff Cobb. Oh, I didn't see that. That would be an awesome matchup. Yeah. Um, GCW, um, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 7 just happened recently. It was, what, this past weekend? Yeah, it was Friday, this past Friday. Yep, so... We had the results from that. Um, the big ones, Minoru Suzuki defeated Chris Dickinson 15 minutes and 14 seconds. Um, Josh Barnett defeated Tiger Huas in the semi-main event, 10 minutes, 8 seconds. Josh, obviously a New Japan alumni. Um, Davey Richards wrestled Yuya Yamura, defeated him 7 minutes and 11 seconds. Tom Lawler defeated Alex Coughlin in 9 minutes, 1 second. Jared Kratos defeated Calvin Tankman, 6 minutes and 38 seconds. That sounds awesome by the way yeah um and then clark connors defeated royce isaacs five minutes 28 seconds so quite a bit of new japan representation on on this card yeah also uh, uh rocky was doing commentary for that show also i i definitely need to check this out i haven't watched the show but i'd really like to because i've seen all the other blood sports so and then um gcw war ready uh Minoru suzuki also defeated nick Gage, 14 minutes and 56 seconds. Yeah, not seeing a ton of great reviews for that match so far. Oh, Minoru Suzuki in his 50s wrestling deathmatch wrestler <laughs> Nick Gage. Wasn't that good? I'm not surprised. Yo, dude, speaking of Nick Gage, so my, my girlfriend's been watching like all the dark sides of the ring and she's already caught up on season three. She just watched like the Nick Gage episode and she's just like, why? Like, 
why are people in this guy? Like, why do wrestlers trust him with their body? Like, after all the crazy crap that he's been through, like, why does he keep getting pushed? Why are there people that pay to watch him? He's just, he was just like flabbergasted by Nick Gage. <laughs> well, the funny thing with my girlfriend is like, she knows a lot about wrestling. She's not like a, you know, like a, for instance, like your girlfriend, who's, you know, unfamiliar with it, you know, my girlfriend's very familiar with wrestling, but we've been watching Dark Side of the Ring, and even some of these recent episodes were finally covering stuff that even, like this XPW one, I didn't know, I don't know anything about that, and Rob Black and all that, like, um, Messiah getting his thumb cut off, I was like, how do I not know this story? That's, like, it's a crazy story, I never knew about it, but um, we're watching them, and like, Every time we watch one, she's always, she always wants to watch them. She's always like, is there a new dark side? You should put that on. Let's watch it. And then I put it on and she's like, I, why do people do this? I hate what they're doing. Right? Like, especially like when, the, when it's like hardcore, like the, the new Jack episode, the FMW episode, the, um, the, the Nick Gage episode, this XBW one. She's like, I hate this stuff. It's disgusting. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, the show is called dark side of the ring like it's right. not happy side of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but we got some questions and we're gonna get out of here um start off with viking pain he said was suzuki returning to japan recently what was your favorite u.s excursion match of his brian suzuki was great but i really liked suzuki dickinson more i'm guessing he's i'm guessing he's talking about uh because they wrestled on both blood sport as well as um, what's it called? They were still on strong on the Philadelphia tapings. That's what I meant. Yeah. So I don't even know which of those two Dickinson matches he means specifically. I'm guessing well, maybe unless, it's the blood sport. Yeah. Cause unless he was there live in Philadelphia then, cause that match hasn't aired yet. Um, uh, he's probably okay. talking about the blood sport match. For me, I have to say Brian Suzuki. And I said that last week, I just, I haven't seen enough of his excursion stuff yet, but I would, I, that sounds inspiring, you know, the idea that him and Dickinson had a, a great main event. I do the the match that he had with Josh Barnett at Bloodsport New York a couple years ago was like just all time legendary, legit. So I can only imagine what a match with these guys was like. Yeah, I'd also have to go with Brian and Suzuki. And like you, I haven't I haven't seen everything. I mean, I've started to make lists, especially as we have the excursion match of the year coming up and I I'll just, start working on it. <laughs> I mean, I've started pulling a, a whole bunch of, of matches, but I did see the Zuki and Dickinson match got a ton of great reviews and ratings on Cage Match. Uh, but right now, the Brian Suzuki match on Cage Match Grapple across reviewers, that, that's the top match that he had in the U.S. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a must-watch. Uh, Kenta and ZSJ have been doing fantastic promo work recently. Which of the two have been the most entertaining for you guys to watch? Well, first of all, I think both these guys have been doing great promo yeah since they've been in new japan um i don't know for, for me i think i'm a little bit more I like zach. yeah i would say i like zach dude i, I freaking love this line after he beat yujiro and he's like a pimp in this day and age kevin <laughs> 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 like he just had so many great like one-liners like a lot of like really <laughs> funny quips and just like little you know biting remarks yeah. it's kind of funny in the bin with Naito's knees. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about Tanahashi being held together by like hairspray and tape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, a non-NJPW related question, but still kind of interesting just to hear your takes. What do you guys think about the whole Charlotte Becky title situation that has been blowing up on the internet recently? And I'll start off first. I don't watch SmackDown. Took me days to figure out what the fuck was going on because <laughs> I just kept like, I'm in group chats and I kept seeing people saying stuff, but like I, and, and to this point, I still don't really know what happened. I, Yes, I basically just know that they didn't like a segment they were having to do. Someone may have sabotaged it. Maybe they didn't, but the whole entire skit, skit got fucked up. And then they got into a big fight backstage. And Charlotte's got eat. And maybe she got escorted off the property. And maybe she's trying to get out of her shit. I don't know. Also, did she cut up Becky's gear? Did, is, did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. There's a rumor. Like, there's been a ton of, like, fake news stories coming out on just random stuff that Charlotte did after. Oh, so I shouldn't be saying all this shit because it could be, like, not based in fact. Well, that is, but the whole, the main story is kind of, have been reported from multiple sources that kind of agree. So the whole thing was, obviously, they they both got drafted to different brands. They were the, the women's champions of the opposite brands. So like they did with the tag titles last year, they had to switch titles. And apparently Charlotte wasn't happy with the whole switching title segment and thought it made her look weak and wasn't happy with it. She dropped the belt when she was supposed to hand it to Becky. Becky got pissed. Becky threw her belt at Charlotte. Um, and the whole segment just didn't come out great. And then, yeah, backstage, apparently they were both heated. And, yeah, Charlotte w- was ex- escorted off the, the premises. And uh, pretty much. I heard, a- Sonya, I heard Sonya Deville wanted, you know, to run it with Charlotte. Yeah, apparently, yeah. She was mad at us. She, want- she was mad enough to fight, uh, wanted to fight Charlotte. And pretty much the whole locker room is backing Becky Lynch. And. Charlotte was trying to say it was an accident that she dropped the title, and yeah, it's a no whole, one believed her. Yeah, nobody believed her. It's a, it's a whole hot mess. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't give a fuck about that stuff. To be honest with you, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just kind of dumb. And I mean, it's like the thing of wrestling. Like, you can book it out. Like, they didn't have to be the the brand, the champion brand. They didn't have to do this belt switch. Like, they they could have dropped the belts before the draft. And not even had to worry about all this, but whatever. That's not really what I mean. I mean, like, I don't give a fuck about them or WWE or anything related <laughs> to that. And, and it's women's wrestling. Like, why are you asking? <laughs> why are you asking us? You know, we only like men's wrestling. We're New Japan. <laughs> oh, man. Gonna get, get us some heat, man. I'm just joking. Don Homie 101 said, time for some fight talk. So he, he asked uh, thoughts on Shakur Stevenson's amazing performance against Jamel Herring, and it's the sky the limit for Shakur, in my opinion. I think guys like Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, and Tank Davis are boxing sons of Floyd May- Floyd Mayweather. They're all got traits of Floyd. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. Um, in different ways, yeah, they they each one each one of them is definitely. I mean, Floyd. Uh, is so influential in his style, in his defensive patterns, and and um, you know, even just like the way he carried himself throughout his career, as far as his health regimens and his diet and things like that. There's a lot of, you know, say what you want about the man, but like from a business perspective, and then from a fighting perspective, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. And you know, I know he thinks nobody passed present or future is ever going to be better than him. And maybe there's some semblance of truth to that, but I think there's going to be a crop of guys that come up that are so 
that have taken some of the best aspects of what he does and improve upon it. And I think that's kind of what's happened a little bit here with some of these guys, but um, yeah, Shakur, especially the way he worked off the jab and he threw combos off the jab. Um, Reminded me a lot the way that Floyd would do his pot shotting and like Shakur Stevenson understood the assignment. He went out there and decimated Jamel Herring. Like it was really impressive. So um, you know, congrats to him. Then he also asked any thoughts on Andre Ward giving Caleb Plant advice on how to beat Canelo. And does it seem like Andre Ward could be looking for the Canelo fight? Um yeah, I mean, I, I don't see I don't know. People are making a big deal about him offering advice. I mean, boxing is a very giving sport and you know, it's not uncommon for guys that have fought in the past to later on spar and train together and go attend each other's camps or give each other advice. So I don't think it's a big deal at all that Andre Ward was giving killed plant advice. Um, but, uh, you know, that is, that's like the one fight that a lot of people were clamoring for was Andre Ward to come out of retirement to fight Canelo. Um, and I, I'm someone who maybe fate would favor Andre Ward in that hypothetical matchup provided Andre Ward was still in prime physical condition and able to go that who knows the ship might've sailed on that, but um, Andre's denied wanting that fight for so long and could have easily probably made that deal at a more optimum time for him. Uh, unless it was, unless he was just being money, you know, money tistic. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> see like how, uh, you know, what has changed his behavior looking for that fight, you know, but maybe who knows. Nice. Well, let's wrap things up here with the recommended match of the week. Last week we had on the ghoul Dan Coffin, a lot, a lot of great reviews for uh, Dan's appearance here on keeping a strong style. He recommended Rick rude versus Chono from the 92 G one. So Josh, I know you've seen this match before. It's my first time watching the match and, uh, very entertained with the matchup and uh, I mean just how hot the crowd is and also that's that's one thing I just miss about New Japan is how hot these crowds were and um, the crowd was so firmly behind Chono where he's kind of living and dying with his uh, every move and the heat that uh, Rick Rude was getting I just love the, the opening of the match like they, they ran it straight from when the bell rang and you get Rick Rude kind of doing a, his like version of the flare flop uh, after the, the opening sequence and Eventually, you know, Rick Rude would try to work over the leg, do some figure four stuff, and it was kind of a great uh, back and forth action here until uh, Chono finally ends up getting the win. Uh, very, very uh, great matchup here. Definitely, I think, definitely worth the watch. Yeah, lengthy match, 29 minutes, 44 seconds. Um, and, you know, this not only crowned the G1 Climax winner, but the new, you know, NWA World Heavyweight Champion at the time. So there was added stakes there. Um, a little bit of a divisive match, I think, um, because of it had such a high reputation at the time, like Dave went like four and a half on it. Um, there was almost like a pendulum swing the other way where a lot of people were comparing it to all Japan, let's say, and, you know, talking down on the match and, you know, kind of criticizing the methodical nature of it. And, you know, basically that it was a little bit overrated. And then that kind of swung so far in that direction that, 
in recent years, people have kind of rediscovered this match and been like, what, what are these people talking about? But um, I do think a lot of what makes that match great is the crowd. Um, there is a little bit of a split dichotomy. Like, I don't think if you put this 1992 match in front of a modern crowd, it would get quite the same response, but the, the stars were aligned, you know, the, the tournament was so hot at the time and had so much heat and, you know, the, the, where these guys were in the trajectory of their careers, like this crowd was on fire for this match. And it's, it's one of the hotter G1s of all time. Yeah, I think for me, the big thing, the big takeaway was just, like, how great Rick Rude was. Like, obviously, growing up in the 90s, like, Rick Rude was pretty much a manager at that point when I was watching wrestling. So, I didn't really see, like, a ton of When did you, like, first, first start? Uh, Like, when I was, like, three or four, so, like, 93, 94. Okay. Because, yeah, because he was pretty much done in, like, 92. So, okay, yeah, so you wouldn't have seen him. See, like, because I remember seeing rude from early early on you know like i saw him in wwf and i saw him in wcw in those you know couple years um so that's it's weird for me to hear you say that he was like just a manager to you right i mean i'll since then i've gone back and seen stuff but still like yeah no i mean just at the time even yeah because i mean to me it was like he was the guy that was with dx (laughs) no To me, he's the dude that, like, made out with chicks at, like, ringside and, like, gyrated his, like, pelvis and shit. <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to fuck Jake the Sinks, Robert's wife. Uh, all right. Well. Yeah, he was great. Like, Jake, or um, Rick Rude was truly, like, great. Like, he was a master. Yeah, like, his selling, just the way, like, he reacted to stuff and just how that match was put together. Like, yeah, he was awesome in the match. Where would you go uh, star ratings wise after seeing this one? Uh, I'd probably go like four and a quarter, four and a half, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I agree. Really good match. Glad it's on the on the docket of recommended matches. If you guys didn't watch it, I'd recommend it. It's better than watching these road two shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have a, another recommended match of the week for us this week. So to get us hyped for Power Struggle, going back to Power Struggle twenty thirteen. The never open weight title on the line as a champion, Tetsuya Naito, defends against Masato Tanaka. Yeah, that's a good match. Yeah, should be should be a lot of fun. Uh, haven't seen this match. I've, I love Tanaka, and uh, I'm sure him and Naito had a good match up here. And so, saw some good stuff on on Cage Match, good reviews and ratings there. So, looking forward to checking this one out. Nice. Well, I think that's going to do it, right? Yeah, that's going to wrap things up. Next week, we'll be back to uh, get our full preview and predictions of Power Struggle. We'll talk about any stuff happening on the Road to shows. And, of course, covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boy. 
the Grave Consequences podcast, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The Great Match Generator with Danny. And coming soon this month, the AEW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.